Hello, I'm Jeff Lester, and welcome to Wait What? Comics and Pop Culture Podcast, coming to you from the not-so-solitary fortress that is WaitWhatPodcast.com. Today, Graham McMillan and I tackle the mega-meme that is for comics, the jorts of Superman's deadliest foe, the final issue of Flash Gordon by Jeff Parker and Evan Doc Shainer, the first issue of Star Wars by Jason Aaron and John Cassidy, the upcoming Secret Wars event from Marvel, Batman and Robin, Kyle Baker, Evan Dorkin, and believe me, so much more. Image-rich show notes await you at waitwhatpodcast.com. We welcome your comments and questions at waitwhatpodcast at gmail.com. And we invite you to look out for us on Twitter, Tumblr, and Patreon. As always, we hope you enjoy. And thank you for listening. Jeff Lester! Graham McMillan! Jeff! I want to start this episode with a message to our listeners to explain the secrets behind Wait What. And the secrets behind your and my conversations. Yes. Okay. Listeners, I'm talking to you now. Jeff is just a, a, a an audience member himself at this point. Indeed. Jeff and I just had a conversation before we recorded the podcast, which ended with Jeff saying, I've really got to pee. Can I call you back? And we'll start the podcast. And I was like, sure. As soon as he hung up, I all of a sudden was also desperate to pee. <laughs> That, like, it was as if you had magic power by you just saying, I really need to pee, made me want to pee as well. That's right. We are that in sync. It's crazy. You're absolutely it's right. Very worrying. Mm-hmm. But you know what that means, right? Urine for a good one. No! Graham McMillan. Oh I my am, god. I am the pun meister for 2015. Seriously, it's getting to the, to the level of, like, Batman villain, like it's it's really <laughs> not. It's really it's not good, right? It's I, not. It's like the it's whole not. King for a Day it, thing. Like unlock something brutal in your brain, because oh my god, uh, I know. As if game in yeah, the system yeah. wasn't bad enough. Okay, no, so. game in the system was, was worse. <laughs> I think we could all say that. <laughs> I think we could all agree that game in the system was worse. Yes. Yes, I agree. Hey, Graham McMillan, let's talk about comic books because I have no idea what to say about comic books. So, oh, no, I want to talk about other things first. Oh, I see. Comic I want to talk about related. Two, yeah, two oh, specific good. comic book related things first. Great. Uh, one is, and this is related to the fact that I literally just did this on Twitter before we started recording. Um, have you seen the hashtag for comics thing? No, I haven't. Uh, it seems to be people choosing for comics. Uh, that are the comics that got them into comics mm-hmm. or the comics that made them rethink their idea of what comics could do mm-hmm. or just four important comics of some sort. Right. And it has been wonderful seeing people just not even put things in context. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Just be like, here are four important comics to me. Bam. Wow. That's been something fabulous. wonderfully thrilling about it that I've really, really enjoyed. Mm-hmm. Um, so for people who are on Twitter, Mm-hmm. And who haven't seen this, I'm sure if you check the hashtag for F-O-U-R comics, not for numeral four comics, right. uh, you will find the entries. But it, it's great. It kind of makes you excited about comics in a really weird way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Just to see the variety of things people have chosen. Yeah, that sounds great. Uh, I um, Let me see here. Because I have not been on Twitter all day, which is... That's probably for the best. No, probably I, good for your health. Yeah, it should be. Except there's times like that where I'm like, oh, that sounds great. That seems like exactly the sort of thing. So, um, so I, I will, I will tell you the four comics that I chose because yes, I actually did. Please. I did three of them, uh, and I'm, I'm 
going to say this purely because I kind of want you to to match me yeah. with yours. Yeah. Uh, so I started with my four comics that made me rethink what comics can do, mm-hmm. which were uh, Doom Patrol number forty two, which is the Flex Mentalo issue. Wow. Uh, Gloriana slash or else number two slash Gloriana. Right. The Kevin Huizenga uh, basketball story. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Hugo Tate, the Nick Abadzis, uh which it, in the American cover, which is what I used, someone is called Britain's Love and Rockets, which is actually a great description of it. Mm. Um, and Graffiti Kitchen by Eddie Campbell, which I'm sure I've sung the praises of Ooh, on yeah. this podcast before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Which, which I, like remains one of those like one of those comics for me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? The comics we were just like, yeah, I thought I was out and this comic was just like, I am blowing your minds in every single way. <laughs> huh. Okay. That's, that is a great list. That okay. And then, list. then I followed up with the four comics that got me hooked in the first place. Oh, good. Okay. Which are not like, which are all from different times, mm-hmm. but each of them, I feel because it was a stage of me being like comics. Uh, the 2000 AD Prog 228, mm-hmm. which is the first appearance of Rogue Trooper, mm. which is like one of, I won't say it's one of my earliest memories, but that can't be right because mm-hmm. it was published in 1981, which means I would have been seven. <laughs> uh, it's a very clear memory, though, I have of me reading this in my great aunt's house on a Sunday afternoon. A mm-hmm. very clear memory. Um, Super Friends, number 45, mm-hmm. which is Super Friends and the Global Guardians. Ooh. I oh, I think I remember Guardians. that issue. Is that with, like, the Tasmanian Devil and stuff like yes. that? Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That was a really great issue. That's a, Isn't that – I'm sorry. What issue is it? Isn't it around, like – 45. It's 44 and 45. Wow. It's a two-parter. And okay. 45 is the one I remember having as a kid. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, I did, I, it says, a Plastic Man story. It says on the top. And I remember this Joe Staten art. Like, really clearly, I remember that that mm-hmm. backup strip. Um. Uncanny X Men one eighty five, mm-hmm. which is the the issue where Ro- uh, Storm loses her powers, right? Which I, I might have been my first issue of Uncanny X Men, and Uncanny X Men was like the first comic that I collected. Mm-hmm. So like it's got that sort of charge, and uh, the first issue of Legends, the the John DC Byrne, miniseries, right. John Byrne, yeah, yeah. Uh, wow. yeah uh, John Ostrander and Len Wein. That's right. Wow. Uh, which was like my first, I'm seriously into DC Comics comic. Uh-huh. I, 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 here's the thing. I, I, a lot of my love for uh, Justice League Detroit comes from the double page spread at the end of that issue. Oh, really? Where John Byrne draws them all. Oh, man. And I'm like, I remember being like, I, I'd, I'd read Justice League Detroit before that. Do you mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like, I, I'd read the issues. Mm-hmm. I still remember, like in that pa- that double page spread, I was like, "These guys are fucking awesome." Isn't it? Isn't it weird how that happens sometimes? I think it's so great when it does. But I remember that there is that weird thing of like, you look at a character and you're like, "Yeah, he's okay," and then and then someone draws him and you're like, "No, wait, wait." I mean, they're awesome. Like I'm totally into them now. You know, just just from some way that they're presented, it, it can totally make the difference. Yeah, it's it's. That was that was the comic. That was the comic where I was like, "Yes!" <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and then my my final four were four comics that got me back in when I thought I was out. Oh wow! Um, which are the first series of Zenith, Grant Morrison, Steve Yule's Zenith, mm-hmm. 
um, which I read. Like, I put up the cover of the collection, but I remember, which was the first collected edition of anything I ever bought. Mm. Um, but I remember reading uh, the individual episodes in a friend's, co- friend's copies of 2080 mm-hmm. that they lent me. Mm-hmm. A guy called Ken McKenzie, who who had, who had 2080. And he like he wasn't even a comic guy, but like he kept on being like, oh, I've got this, and I'd be like, oh, I'll borrow it. And then reading Zenith and being like, what is this? This is amazing. Um, and then Deadline number five. Mm-hmm. The, which had Tank Girl and Wired World and like really early Philip Bond, really early Jimmy Hewlett. Uh, Hugo Tate was in that one. Wow. Uh, yeah, it was like, and it was, according to this, it was 1989. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was just, it blew my mind. Like it was one of those things I picked up because it was a comic, but it was a comic on like a comic had seen. And I just remember reading it and being like, what is this? <laughs> this, this is all amazing. Um, <laughs> The first issue of Cages, Damien Keane's Cages, which was like I had I had purposefully given up comics when I went to college. Oh, really? Yeah, like because I was it was part. There's not a lot here that's interesting me. In part, I can't afford it. Right. Uh, and Cages, Cages was out. I want to say I got Cages number one as a back issue mm. because I was super into Damien Keane. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um. And I remember just being like, "This everything he's doing is amazing. Mm-hmm. Like, every, everything he's doing in this this issue, like, even even the the black and white line art with the color hold and mm-hmm. everything, I was like, this this is all just amazing." Uh, and the first issue of The Invisibles. Wow! So two Morrison Yules, which is I didn't even realize until I posted it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Man, that's amazing. Um. See, on you go, Jeff. Oh, man. See, this is tough. It was like trying to listen while at the same time just sort of like in between the cracks being like, holy shit, what am I going to – Shall I I go through it again? Or or the the subjects at least? Well, okay. There was the four comics that got me hooked. There were the four comics that broke my brain. And there was the four comics that got me back in when I thought I was out. Now, just out of curiosity, so got me hooked is different from got me back in when I thought I was out. Like – Got me hooked is, is like first steps, I guess. The very or first it steps wasn't my brain, yeah. Okay, so but you, I thought you also had them at different periods. I did. Okay, so it was kind of like the periods where it sort of like kind of upped the game for you. I yeah, guess. I want to say I want to say the Rogue Trooper one is. I want to say the Rogue Trooper was the like first time I was like, "This is a character that's really exciting, and I'm totally into this character." I feel that the Super Friends one might be one of my first American comics. Mm-hmm. Uh, the X-Men one is the first time, like the first issue I remember getting of the first comic I collected. Mm. Uh, and then the Legends one was like the first time I was like, I'm not just buying DC Comics, I'm a super fan of DC Comics. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, geez. Okay, well let me think here. Uh, so the four comics that got me hooked, I definitely know that one of them is going to be Amazing Spider-Man number 129 which was like the first appearance of the Punisher. And I remember seeing that issue, like we were in an airport. I don't even remember where we were going or why, but I remember there was a newsstand there and that cover was displayed and it, everything about it just seemed completely awesome. And it's interesting because I don't, I'm 99% sure that I did not get that issue at that time because we were going someplace or doing something. But 
nevertheless, I did end up with that issue. And, um, and I remember like having just such this specific strange reaction to, you know, the seventies Marvel's comics. I was such a, I was a young kid and they were just such a weird mix of dark, queasy comics, you know, Mm -hmm. like, and that, that's like that sort of that classic example. Like it's, you know, that Ross Andrew art, you've got the Jackal, you know, the Jackal, like, I'm trying to think if that's the issue where he like slashes the back of Spider-Man's head and drugs him or not. I think so. And then he wakes up on the ledge and there's like the Punisher's buddy is dead or something like that. But it was just a real weird, grotty concept to it. Um, and I remember, and, and, and it was just, but that cover was like smack. And then reading the book itself, even though it was disturbing, it was such, it, it was so exciting, I think, because most of it was like it was within reach. You know what I mean? Like it was mm-hmm. like even even when it seemed like a little bit over my head or maybe I shouldn't actually be reading it. I kind of had that feeling of like, oh, no, but I, I can read this like I can really, you know, it's it's going to be I'm, I'm going to have to mix it up. I realize now like my later comics are going to have to really be more interesting because the four comics that got me hooked i'm like <laughs> are probably all going to be like marvel comics you know it's just like it's fine yeah it's yeah. Like, one of the things that i've really enjoyed about seeing the people do it on twitter is there's a complete lack of self-consciousness mm-hmm. do you know what i mean like i saw someone be like here are the four comics that just blew my mind and they're all x-men comics right right exactly do you know what i mean yeah. i feel like if it was someone doing something where they're like they were explaining or making an argument they would never allow themselves to pick that yeah do you know what i mean they'd be like well i can't have four x-men comics but it's just images i think it's fine to be like you know yeah these are my four comics right exactly um hmm so like there's gonna be like a really big leap here i think and then the next issue the next book that totally like hooked me in even more um, like right down the line was Uncanny X-Men number 98, uh, which is, you know, as you know, Claremont it's... and Cockrum, the Sentinels are back. Yes. And it's the one that ends up with them in the floating space, right? Cause you've got yes. the, the, they're, don't you see? They're not on earth. Yes, exactly. I to them floating in space. They're in space. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Man, but I haven't read that comic in a long time, but I remember that really clearly. <laughs> Well, it's actually funny. I've gotten to the age now where it's like I have to like sort of carefully go and double check my numbers because I'm I'm starting to get these things wrong, even though like back in the day I never would like and I had giant size X-Men, you know, with the introduction of the of the of the new team. And it was good. I enjoyed it. It was again, it was a little gritty or whatever. But the Uncanny X-Men, I love this issue because pretty much it's great all the way through. But the first six pages are Fucking oh, phenomenal. That, that's them um, just like in the in yeah uh, thirty rock or yeah thirty Rockefeller Center yeah. exactly, and they're out and it's snowing and it's packed with cameos. It's yeah, like, you get Lee and Kirby, you, and get, you get Chris and, and and Dave as well, right? Exactly, and their dates. 
which also really helped because it's such a strong like romance comic, you know, like the, the, the Scott and Gene stuff is really, it's kicking in as like, they're a couple. And, uh, and yeah, that, that was like, that so sealed the deal for me as like an X-Men fan that I became such a crazy X-Men purist that even though John Byrne was doing like my absolute other favorite work over on Iron Fist with Chris Claremont, um, when he took over from Dave's uh, Cockrum, I was a little heartbroken. And then, and frankly, I think I, I, I quit the book by like 124 because I was such a purist. That oh, I was man, like, you quit the book at 124? Yeah, I did. I think it was Wait, 124 Uh I came back. Here's the funny thing. I say that and you don't say I didn't come back. Do you know what I mean? Like somehow oh, yeah. we both, like right. it was just both knowing that of course you came back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, completely. Cause I mean, it really was, it was this thing of like, even, even be- before the internet and I don't, I don't know how, maybe it was just picking up old issues of comics journal or whatever. It was like, Oh, holy shit. Like dark that, Phoenix, everyone. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Dark Phoenix is a thing. So I want to say that. So it's a really tough call. It's a really tough call. I think I came back for the first appearance of Kitty Pride, aka John Byrne's last issue, and then I remember at a comic comic book store in Davis, California, I found the Uncanny X Men back issues, and I basically bought like issue one thirty two through one forty two. So. Oh, so you came back after Dark Phoenix? Yeah, I came back after because I so heard you came, about you came, it. You came back when Cockrum was back as well. Yeah, which isn't surprising in a way because since Cockrum was the guy where I was like, oh, he's yeah. the man. And I yeah. came back and I was like, you know, God bless oh, him. He, he was the man. Yeah, you know, it, it just <laughs> like, it was like, ah, oh, he's got a, hmm, it's not the same in a way. So, so I think, I think that's got to be on it. Yeah, the early ones that got me hooked. I'm trying to think. There's got to be another one. Oh, um, it's an issue of Captain America. I remember I was like in third grade and uh, a friend lent me his issue of Captain America. And it was the it was right in the Englehart era. It was um, I want to say it's like when Lucifer is like splitting in two. You know, and oh yeah, yeah. So, so Sal Buscema is still drawing then. Yes, absolutely. And I and I was I was a pretty I was more than okay with that. So I want to say that that was like Captain America one sixty. You know what? I take it back. It, it maybe maybe it wasn't Lucifer splitting in two because I remember he gave me this comic and the and the very next issue was the head of the serpent's uh, empire shooting himself. So. That was, it was it was in that same realm. It's like in the early one sixties, you know, mm-hmm. um, and that that totally blew my mind. So again, it was just this stuff where I'm like, it's third, third grade, and I'm watching the president of the assassin, the United States, assassinate himself right in front of Captain America's eyes, and what that means for America. And I'm just totally like, no wonder I'm a lunatic now, you know, <laughs> like both for Marvel, but just also just like, wow. Like, well, I, if you think about it, like, if you see, like, you're reading that at third grade. Yeah. You know, on one hand, sure, you're not understanding the subtext. On the other hand, that subtext is going to fuck you up. Yeah. I mean, you got it because it shows them in the White House. You know what I mean? And it's kind of that thing of, um, 
you know, the subtext almost works too well because you're like, well, oh, yeah, man. the subtext. Because here's the thing: you're in third grade and you know the Watergate has happened. You might yes. not even know what Watergate is, mm-hmm. but you know the Watergate has happened. Mm-hmm. You know that America is disillusioned with yes, the, right. the the president, pretty much for the first time that it's yeah. been like openly mm-hmm. uh, shamed. I guess, yeah. Um, and then you read that comic, and it's almost worse if you don't understand everything that's going on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, Do you know well, what I mean? You're exactly. like, well, you're like, well, maybe he was the head of the service. Well, see, that's Empire. it. There was a little <laughs> bit of it where it's kind of like there's almost the 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 sort of plausible deniability of like, oh, maybe that's not Nixon because we're showing him from behind, but you know, he really is. Wink, wink. Like all of that ironic distance disappears. Like, I don't know why they didn't show Nixon's face, but they clearly showed him blowing his brains out. You know? Exactly. Yeah, it's clearly Nixon. What are you talking about? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. It's so direct. And it was like, wait, so they've got a universe where, like, Nixon killed him? It was just it, that also broke my brain. And then, yeah, it'd be really tough to hit that, what that fourth comic is in terms of the got me hook stage, you know? Um, That's okay. Okay, so so moving on. So we've, we've, we're done with Got You Hooked. Yes. So uh, let's go to comics that got you back in when you thought you were out. Yes. Okay. Or, That's... Which, of course, suggests that at some point you thought you were out. Or what? are you? have you always been in? Uh, you know, it's kind of funny. I think I've, I've always, in my brain, I'm kind of like, oh, I've always been in. But I'm pretty aware that there were times that I, I was sort of hanging on by my fingernails and not knowing it, you know, like it was kind of like, I, I honestly think that if I had not, if Alan Moore's had, hadn't started writing Saga, the swamp thing, when I was, I forget, like a junior or senior in high school, like, I think I might've been out, you know what I mean? Like I just wasn't. I mean, there was other stuff going on too there that was amazing. Like Frank Miller's Daredevil run finished up my senior year of high school, and that was that was pretty amazing too. But I, I really remember that first issue, Saga of the Swamp Thing number twenty five. Oh shit! Okay, the four comics that got me hooked. One of them has to be like Jungle Action number seven, I think, where it's Rich Buckler's art, Don McGregor starting to crank up the purple engines. As the Black Panther fights Killraven for the first time, and crank up the purple engines, of course, being a <laughs> yeah, right, exactly, a, a psychedelic band, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, Jeff, I think you put yourself on mute. I hate this thing because <laughs> you lost it. Then you went, Whoop! yeah, fucking my chair with. Uh, anyway, so okay, comics that. That got me back in when I thought I was out. Like, I never really thought, like, oh, I have to give up comics. Or in in the back of my head, it was never a, like, oh, this is preventing me from doing something more meaningful with my life or something. It was just kind of a level of, you know, by the time that I got to. It doesn't even have to be that. Like, for especially around the deadline time, I think I still would have said that I was reading comics. But I don't think there was anything that's totally energized me. And then I saw Deadline, and I was like, this is amazing. Yeah, yeah. So I, I think I think the four comics that got me back in when I thought I was out was Saga of the Swamp Thing, twenty five when I was in uh, high school, like my my junior or senior year of high school, because that what, just had. What is the story by that point? Because I have the strange feeling that might be one of the issues I reread this week. 
Oh, really? It's the first part of the demon storyline. It's the first, the demon slash monkey king storyline. So it starts off with, it's just Jason Blood showing up in town. No, it's, it's, yeah, I was, I I was reading Saga Swamp Thing book two in the current collection, and apparently it starts in 28. Oh, oh, interesting. Wait, oh, really? Oh, so yeah, you just missed it, because I think 25, 26, and 27 are the three part. Yeah. And with him meeting the demon. It was just awesome. Um, and then when I moved to Los Angeles, again, there was that period of, I just remember it was like five covers for Legends of the Dark Knight and Todd McFarlane's Spider-Man number one. And I was just so, I think, I think I was, you know, I was reading Grant Morrison's Doom Patrol and some other Vertigo titles. And apart from, apart from Morrison's Doom Patrol, which I dearly loved, um, it was all pretty superhero comics were just like, I was just, just on the opposite end of it. I was just like, there was nothing. I was, I lived right up the street from uh, golden apple comics when they were still located on Melrose, just a block or two off of Fairfax. And I'd walk down and, and pick up books. And I remember just being so incredibly nonplussed by all this stuff that people were lining up for. It was just, it just didn't really speak to me. And that was around the time that I picked up one of the Peter Bag edited issues of Weirdo. Um, and I think when we get to the four comics that broke my brain, we can hop back because I think this description makes it sound like I didn't discover alternative or indie comics until that issue. But I think that issue really did open up a lot of doors for me in terms of Comics is a potential for expression in a in a kind of um, a far more intimate way than the other indie comics that I had been reading at that point, which is, you know, thanks to Alan Moore, you know, and trying to read everything that uh, he was about, like one of his first one of the first things that I got was in uh, some British zine where he was interviewing Eddie Campbell. Um, oh, escape. Yeah. Was that not an issue of escape? It probably was an issue of escape, I think, you know, where, and so reading that issue where it was like, it was, you know, I was reading it purely for Alan Moore, but of course they're really interviewing each other. And I'm like, oh, I, I got to look into this Eddie Campbell guy. So I got into Alec relatively shortly after that. And then Bacchus, you know, those things were coming out. So I remember picking those up. I think I have the. Was it Eclipse that was doing the Alec collections first before? Yeah, Black yes, yeah. yeah. So yeah, I, Eclipse, I Eclipse did like the first collections, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and that would have been eighty eight, eighty nine. Yeah, something like that. Right. Exactly. Maybe, maybe. Yeah, I want to say it was before the ninety. Yeah, and they did. Um, God, what was it called? The Ace Rock and Roll Club or something? The first one was called. Could be, which I totally missed. Like I came, I I think I came in at one of the first, like, one of the bigger Alec collections, I think, where Ace Rock and Roll Club was left out of it, you know. But I was pretty much, I was on board. I wasn't so crazy about his his work for Deadface um, or Bacchus, but I totally loved his Alec stuff. But that being said, there was a level of craft, I suppose, that you saw in Campbell, in the Hernandez brothers, you know, in... Um, 
God, who's the other guy? It just slipped my mind. And that I sort of naturally was kind of like, it it wasn't the same thing. You know, or any issue of Raw. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. Raw had all kinds of level of which the, the level of craft was so important. And in Weirdo, it was so much more about the idea of, of losers using it as a form of expression. You know, mm-hmm. it was much closer to the zines and also to the underground movement, you know, underground through Crumb. And I feel like zines through, through Peter Bag, that that really, that ended up keeping me, that gave me a lot to go on, just collecting those issues and then reading more of what those guys had. That might've been around the time that neat stuff and eight ball started coming out, um, you know, and yeah. or or it's probably hate and eight ball because I hadn't I hadn't really taken the the hook for neat stuff or Lloyd Llewellyn but 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 hate and eight ball the hate ball tour was pretty pretty awesome so I remember the hate ball tour and you've also just made a thing I didn't put any Evan Dorkin or Kyle Baker in those things and Evan Dorkin and Kyle Baker were crazily important to me in the early nineties oh wow really interesting oh yeah. amazingly. Uh, the first few issues of Dork, mm-hmm. uh, oh, God. especially, yeah. and, and Dork number two mm-hmm. was my first really uh, Evan Dorkin. I'd, Milk and Cheese was running in Deadline at the time, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I love Milk and Cheese because how could you not love Milk and Cheese? Absolutely. Um, and I saw Dork in the same comic store where I got the cages. Mm-hmm. Uh, I saw Dork issue two, and Dork issue two had... Not just like a bunch of Evan Darkin stuff, mm-hmm. but also the strips he did with Kyle Baker for oh, yeah, instant shits. piano. No, no, not before instant piano. Oh. It was for Spin or some music magazine, right? And it was the two of them doing concert reviews. Oh yeah, one which they re-ran in instant yes. piano, and those yeah. were great. Um, and that that also blew my mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what blew my mind in particular was not just the reportage comic thing, but the bit at the end where Evan Darkin basically said, yeah, I was ghostwritten. Like, huh. Kyle Baker ghostwrote, like, I didn't do, the, like, the last two or something. Wow. And Kyle Baker did me instead. Really? Kyle Baker did my dialogue and he did me better than me. And there was something about that that really stuck in my head. Wow. That's amazing. Jesus. Yeah, I, I I completely I completely forgot about that. But they, they were and they, you know Kyle Baker, um, why I hate Saturn mm-hmm. is just is still this massive thing in my brain. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, Cowboy yeah. Wally and why I hate Saturn and you are here mm-hmm. are are is like a a one two three punch uh, of of comics for me. Wow, wow. Yeah, for some reason I was really late to start in on why I hate Saturn. Um, uh, and of course. It's phenomenal. It's, it's, super, it's super mannered, I feel. It's, I feel that it's something that like you get or you don't. I don't think it's a, uh, a welcoming comic at all. It might be. It just may have been the time. I don't think I was especially welcoming towards Piranha Press or something. There was just everything about it seemed suspect. <laughs> just, <laughs> like the worst reasons in the world. Corporate comics, Jeff. I know. I know. It's just so what I don't know what's wrong with me. But yeah, whatever the reason, I didn't like the logo, some bullshit. It took me forever to get around to reading it. And and, and I, after I, hearing everyone say fab, fantastic things about it. My favorite Kyle Baker comic is a short in one of the Brown and Press anthologies which has never been reprinted. And I so wish it was. 
Oh, yeah? Uh, it's Lester Fenton and The Walking Dead. I oh, right. Yes, you've told me that. And yeah, it's yeah, just, yeah. it's, it's like four pages, five pages. And it is the funniest fucking thing. Oh, man. The funniest fucking comic. It is why I hate Saturn era Kyle Baker. Mm-hmm. But doing slapstick. Man. You know, which is just, even as an abstract, that sounds great. And mm-hmm. the execution is exactly what you want it to be. Because mm-hmm. Cowboy Wally and Why I Hate Saturn in particular are, there's a, a humor in that that he then gets, he gets away from. He mm-hmm. gets broader as he gets older, Kyle Baker. Mm-hmm. And you can even see that in You're Here. You're Here is a broader uh, thing. And then by the time you get to I Die at Midnight, it's even broader and so on and so on. Mm-hmm. But there's a sharpness and a, a wit to Cowboy Wally and, and Why I Hate Saturn. Mm-hmm. That is entirely on display in Lester Fenton. Wow. That is just, and it's, it's so great. It's, it's in the, I, I want to say the series was called Fast Forward. Mm-hmm. It's a second series of that, second issue of that, sorry. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, it's the family issue and Kyle Baker's stuff is on the cover. So mm-hmm. like, if you're looking at back issue bins, you'll know it's the Kyle Baker thing because it's Kyle Baker to the cover. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the first issue of that series has Dave McKinney and Grant Morrison doing something. Really? Wow. Yeah. Jesus. Yeah, so you were missing out on some good stuff, Jeff. I certainly believe You were also me. missing out on some terrible stuff. Right. Ugly, was it Beautiful Pictures for Ugly Children or whatever it was called? Oh, yeah. You know, the first issue of that was great. They just didn't, you know, just kept going and going. Yeah, that was the problem. It, it, it should have been a series. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and, there, yeah, there was some terrible stuff in that as well. But, uh, but uh, yeah, there was, some, there was some really good Piranha Press stuff. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, let me see here. So, uh, to jump back to the four comics that, that got me back in when I thought I was out, even though I didn't necessarily know that I was going to be like exiting, I suppose. Um, uh, I would have to say that, uh, the, the next one, and this is completely humiliating to, to admit, but, um, you know, I was, I started working at Co- Friday at Comics Experience, um, God, I don't know when it was, like 2004 to something like that, you know. It, it was it was through – actually, I left in 2006. So I think I was there from like maybe 2002, 2001 through 2000, the, the t- summer of 2006, I think. And there was a point where I started to burn out, like, you know, because it, it is the great kid in the candy store feeling of like I'd come in Fridays. There would be like a lag. I could pull a whole bunch of books off the yeah, shelf. You could read everything. Yeah, just read as much as possible. And, of course, I, I was barely able to – you can't read everything at that point, which I was naively trying to do to help write reviews for The Savage Critic at the time. And – um but I remember uh, at some point, it was just that thing of manga was just in full bloom. It was ta- you know taking over all the bookstores. It was all anyone was talking about and writing about. And I was very much like, well, on the one hand, I was getting completely burnt out on the state of superhero comics at that stage. You know, it was like a lot of the, it was right after, you know, Kasada and yeah, I was Jemis say, you're, you're in Civil War era. Yeah, like exactly. Exactly. So that's like uh, Infinity. No, it's it's one year later. Yeah, and and in Civil War in 2006. Yeah, exactly. So, but it's around that time, like all the all the guys that that 
Casada uh, and Jameis were like, yeah, get in here and write stuff and write the shit out of it. Like, you know, Morrison was gone from, from X-Men and uh, I'm trying to think like Bendis was well into his groove on ultimate Spider-Man, but, but it was getting a little old. Like it had been like bunches of issues. Miller was coming in. And also there was that idea of like, after all these years of having the universe be loose and apart, which took me a while to get used to, they were going to pull everything back together. And I just didn't like it. Like it was just like, it wasn't going to assemble well. And I was reading a lot of DC stuff of various people or titles, but nothing I was really crazy about. And so there was a little bit of the, why don't I try reading manga? Why don't I just leave this stuff alone? Let me pick up some manga. And here, here's a title that I've heard good things about. Um, and I was hooked and I'm, I, if I could go another couple of, 10 15 hours without mentioning the title i would be a happy man but in fact it was i read like 28 volumes of like love hina or whatever which is like one of the classic like harem you know comedies about a (laughs) kid who like ends up like and oh it's a student but he inherited this inn. but of course there's like seven other women who uh, you know and of course he's a lovable loser but all of them become obsessed with him and this plays out and it's slapstick that plays out forever and until the last i don't know six volumes where it falls apart i was like this is just great like it really was a weird form of like I'm just, I I was kind of like, I love serialized storytelling. I love comic book stuff. But also, I think this the thing. If you go back and look at, you know, three of the four comics that got me hooked, both Spider-Man and Uncanny X-Men had super strong romance elements into it. You know, it's Mm -hmm. like starting in 129, Gwen Stacy's already dead, but the whole buildup to the romance with Mary Jane and Peter Parker takes like a year, like they don't kiss until I want to say it's issue 143 or something like that. So it's, it's really almost like two years since, since Gwen Stacy like kicks it. And I am just such a sucker for that kind of slow drip romance. And (laughs) with, with the heroes being the slow drip, sadly, and love Hina is kind of perfect for that. So once that was in my system and the great thing was like being able to read so much of that in something that's relatively disposable really got me comfortable with being able to read like, you know, right to left and do all that stuff. So hopefully I've read a lot of better things since. Um, <laughs> it's, know, that's, that's a wonderful way of putting it though. Cause you're, I guess they'd say formative, but in, in many ways this was formative. But your formative reading experiences are often, for one of a better way of putting it, not good. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But they, they prime you to recognize quality later. Yeah. Yeah, if you're lucky. I mean, and that's why I'm, that's why I think I'm a big fan of the idea of, I mean, quality, all ages material. I mean, actually looking back on that, that four comics that got me hooked, I realize now my fourth one is going to be when I when I was a kid, the, um, we going to the dentist or the doctor. I think it was the dentist, and he had a digest magazine, relatively thick, that came out like I don't know, probably every week because there was a ton of them, and they were serializing Tintin in it, 
And that was, that was like my crack. You know what I mean? Cause I honestly, I was, I think I was going to the dentist, like, see, it must've been like the doctor or the eye doctor. Cause there was I, definitely during my like, sickly I was youth there period, enough. I was there enough. Like I yeah. read a huge chunk of Tintin and Tibet, um, like in these like 15 to 20 page things in the middle of something that's, that in my mind is sized exactly like Reader's Digest that I can't even remember. But, you know, it's like as much as I love Spidey and the X-Men and Captain America, like Tintin, not only is it amazing quality, it's, it, I mean, it's amazing quality, but it really does help you prime that pump so that like, you know, when I was a kid and like the, the comics encyclopedia came out or, one of the books that was about world comics that I think Maurice Horn edited that I was just like, I was like, I, I've got it. I've got to, I've got to see this. I've got to have this. I've got to see more of this Tintin stuff. And then of course you see, you know, Guido Creepax, like, you know, diagonal shots of someone's vulva and you're like, okay, I'm in, I'm 10 years old. And this is, <laughs> this is apparently comics do it all. I did not realize this is amazing. You've gone again, Jeff. Damn this fucking! <laughs> what are you doing to yourself? It's to just yourself this, off. this stupid. It won't stay. It falls into the chair and then hits the armrest and <laughs> sellotape. It's to something. Ugh. So uh, the fourth comic that got me in back when I thought it was out was actually just a few years back where we we're doing this podcast and I'm like, oh, I'm so burnt on everything because at that point it's like i had a subscription to shonen jump alpha and i was like you know this is great even all the inventiveness it's still stuff for like you know 13 year old kids who are eating too much sugar for the most part um and then i got you know i got 2000 i got into 2000 ad and man that was just awesome that's just really opened up a lot of doors over the last year and a half and i and currently i sort of Wax and wane, it's it's a little bit on the wane, but like, oh my god, that stuff is I, so great. I think great. that's the way to read 2000 AD. Mm-hmm. I think the secret to 2000 AD mm-hmm. is to accept that you're not going to be there every week. Mm-hmm. I think you're but right. Like, but overall, in the over the course of a year, yeah. you're going to enjoy much more than you're not going to. Yeah, completely. Like, the, 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 there will be a, a, a benefit. Yeah. I had a... Um, I was. I made a list of uh, someone I know is getting into comics, or is trying to get into comics, I should say. Mm-hmm. Um, and she was like, you know, I, I, I don't know what to read. Like people are suggesting things, but you know, saying I want to start reading comics is like saying I want to start eating food, right? <laughs> like right. it's, it's. I, I, what would you suggest? And so I made a list of like, you know, here are things I don't think people will suggest for you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was super. It was surprising what came to mind. Like, I was like, you should read The Nub of Brown, which -hmm. is just a wonderful comic. Mm -hmm. Uh, You should read Eddie Campbell's Alec was on there. Yeah, that's great. Um, But uh, Zombo was on there. Mm. Because I was like, Zombo is probably unlike anything anyone has suggested. Mm -hmm. But Mm -hmm. it is is the closest thing to, you know, uh, what did I, I'm going to have to find the email because I, I likened it to Monty Python and something else. (laughs) <laughs> and I was like, you know, it is absolutely nuts. Mm-hmm. It, it is the, the strangest thing that you, you could read. It is not what I'd like. Into. South Park meets Monty Python. Mm. 
because uh, I went for the second collection. I went for Your Smell of Crime and I'm the Deodorant. Oh, yeah. Uh, South Park means Monty Python and far more out there, I said. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Star Wars jokes meets Donald Trump jokes meets hyperviolent alien beetles and then some. <laughs> yeah, the second second volume of Zombo is so great. I mean, the first is strong, but second is that just second volume is just absolutely huge. wonderful. Yeah, yeah, it, that is glorious. Um, yeah, it's funny, like the stuff that it's like trying to figure out what will will turn people on. Like again, I know that this is a. Um, it's the sort of book that we're like, oh yeah, this is kind of uh, it. It's it's it. There's a lot of eye rolling voluntarily or involuntarily, and sometimes it's just people that are just tired of <laughs> tired of the book. But I remember when I was reading The Walking Dead, um, and having people that I lent those books to. Who then lent the books to like their spouses, and so it was like whenever I got the latest trade of The Walking Dead, there was like four people who were basically queued up to want to read yeah. that. And know? I think Saga is almost like that now for me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like I know people who are they don't read comics, but they read Saga. Right. Exactly. No, and it's the same way. And so it's very much that case. Talking with Lauren Davis, she talked about the fact that like you know. Um, her husband, Bill's brother, I think, like stayed with them and basically read all 96 issues of The Walking <laughs> Dead at the time and was just, you know, no pun intended, ravenous for more, like literally could not get enough of that stuff. And I actually think that is true about um, Saga. You know, it's kind of in fact, I, I really think that that second humble bundle that uh, image, you know, that just wrapped up was so great because of that idea that like for just the minute, I think the minimum was 15 bucks to be able to get the first walking dead compendium. Um, the first 48 issues in digital and the saga hardcover, which is the first, what, 18 issues. Yeah. You know, I'm like, that's tremendous value. Like digitally, like that was just, it was so, I don't I, I I'm just kind of at that stage where I don't have anyone in my life that's sort of like kind of enough into comics to maybe have like a digital comic reader who wouldn't have already been into some of the titles on that image bundle. Otherwise, I probably would have gifted a couple of them because I was just like, man, there's so much stuff in there that would be great for people to like read, you know, just even if it's like. Five volumes, you know, five issues of Sex Criminals followed by five issues of Wicked and Divine followed by Southern Bastards. You know what I mean? There's just that feeling of like, wow, there's a lot of as much as we kind of like get frustrated at at image being like, oh, and here's another sci fi comic or crime comic, you know, or maybe a monster comic that is a sci fi crime comic. You know, there there is a lot of. Of of good stuff that that. What is really funny is you're saying that, and I'm like, but I like the fuse. (laughs) (laughs) Honest to God, that is what was in my brain as you're saying. Right, right, exactly. I mean, the fuse is pretty great. It really is. In fact, (laughs) that was in. in, I'm like three issues behind on it. I think I I, maybe this entire arc, but I've got the issues all piled up. Um, Okay, so and then very quickly, although part of me is like. This is kind of nice having a not talking about what the fuck is in Battle World or what the shit. Oh, don't worry. I'm going to get to that later. 
Okay, of course you are, Graham. Um, the four comics that broke my brain that really did a great job of like resetting and sort of resplitting my brain in terms of what's available. The thing that's tough is I know there's a more than like the like we were think talking here, and there's only a few that I were able to really nail down. But you know that, and there's a lot that I'm leaving out in part because I can't think of like I know there was like an issue of Acme novelty that really that did it for me, but I can't remember which one it was. But the four comics that broke my brain, Love and Rockets number four, which is one of the first comics that I bought when I came to San Francisco and finally had a comic book store in my town. I had been reading the comics journal through a complex series of um almost school trip scams essentially and all the ads for love and rockets really had me excited to pick up that issue pick up that book and the earliest issues they had were like they didn't have the first two issues it was like issue three on up so i got issues three and four and three is okay but four which is Jaime's Hundred Room Story, and then the second part of Beto's uh, Heartbreak Soup, part two, those floored me. That really was, I was, again, it was that idea of like, oh my God, you know, kind of that like, oh, comics can do anything and everything, you know, because it, it really was. It was like, you know, uh, just just the just kind of the whole punk rockers slash science fiction setting for a hundred rooms um, that, that Jaime was slowly moving away from and the just awesome, like flat out literary ambitions of, of heartbreak soup. I was just, I was, I was bowled over. Um, and then I think I told you back when I was like getting into weirdo, it sort of started me like that was when I finally got crumb cause crumb stuff in the weirdo era, particularly after once he stops editing, at least for me, his stuff becomes amazing. And, and yet weirdly like, so I'm picking up weirdo and yet crumb, I did not dig until I ended up picking up arcade number six. Uh, as a result of being into weirdo and kind of like, well, what else is like this? And, and arcade number six is the comics magazine that Crum and Art Spiegelman were uh, co-editing back in the 70s, back in 1976. So thank God there were so many copies, as, as happens with underground comics, that you could pick those up for more or less cover price, which I think I did at Golden Apple. And... Number six has the um, the cute little bearsy wearsies and ain't it nice, which is is basically Robert Crumb doing kind of Charles Bukowski comics, but with like cute, adorable bears, you know, like very much his <laughs> stuff, but also just like this this couple that's sort of trapped in this kind of weirdo, you know, quasi drunken misogynistic haze and then uh nervous Rex by art spiegelman which i remember again seeing glimpses of in the comics journal pages but then seeing it in all of its glory um nervous Rex is like the four page um him tackling uh morgan rex md and recontextualizing the panels and cutting them up into dadaist nonsense but also hat like drawing stuff outside the panels as well. Fucking um, me. Oh wait, no wait. 
Is that Nervous Rex or is that the malpractice suite? Shit. I don't know. Come on, Graham. <laughs> Help me out with this. Uh, let me see here. Let me let me type up Nervous Rex Spiegelman. Do, 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 do. Oh, half of what they're showing me under the images search. Ah, I don't know. Pack it in. Anyway, let's just say that whenever I saw the fucking malpractice suite, which I could have sworn, I think Nervous Rex is, yeah, is is Rex Morgan MD, and it's also called the malpractice suite. Anyway, that was that was mind blowing to me. Um, and again, a little bit of the reminder of like I think I've talked about the the collage work of Jess on on this episode, in, in, like overall in the podcast, right or no? Cause, I I don't remember that, but maybe. So Jess was a uh, a collage artist here in San Francisco again during the like sixties or seventies, um, and unfortunately, I'm too far away from the book uh, to actually look up all the dates. But uh, at one point, he did a series of strips called "O, o Tricky Cad," which. Um, you know, Tricky Cat is a, a anagram of Dick Tracy. And he was taking later era Chester Gold strips and cutting them up, reassembling them, and then drawing in more elements and more or less creating the dialogue by, I think, random paste-ups. And I came across like three or four panels of that in, I think, the World of Encyclopedia of Comics, again, when I was like 11 or 12. And that shit blew my mind because it's very clearly Chester Gold. But it, and, and with those three panels, like, you know how, like, when you're a kid, like, you're like, especially with comic books, especially the way you've been trained with superhero comics, is like, oh, this doesn't make any sense, but I'm sure it would if I could get the rest of the context. Sure, yeah. You know? And, and so it wasn't until much, much, many years later that I was able to see the Tricky Cad strips. I think in this in this reprint volume that came out was the first time I got to see like all of them, I guess, um, and realized like, oh, there there is no context. And again, that sort of the freedom of the from context is exactly like Jess is celebrate the stuff that he's celebrating in Dick Tracy is the stuff that that a lot of people have come to appreciate about Chester Gold, which is essentially that Steve Ditko would have to, you know, could teach that guy rationality lessons. You know what I mean? Lessons in rational thinking. You could actually take something from Steve Ditko if you were in Chester Gold's state of mind. And so to celebrate that by just ripping off the last little veneer of continuity um, was breathtaking to me and then seeing it as, but again it was like oh but i just like these four panels which confused the shit out of me and disturbed me and entranced me it's just because i haven't seen the whole thing where the context is and the closest thing i ever really got to the context was looking at arcade number six and seeing the malpractice suite and being like oh right like there is such a great there's something about the the palimpest nature of comics where you can add layers to what's already there and it's a way that we do it through superhero continuity but even just from taking those panels cutting them up putting them at a weird angle and drawing monster feet on the characters that are off panel uh, as spiegelman does is just it's 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 a brilliant uh statement on contextualization 
Similarly about contextualization, boom, boom, number two, which I know I, I bring up, it seems like once every couple of years, which is um, David Lasky, who a lot of people know from that amazing Carter family memoir. Um, he did an issue uh, of his own. It was the second issue of his, of his, of his own comic where he retold the story of James Joyce writing Ulysses, but each page that he each page of the comic is a different page that it's been lifted from the origin of Marvel comics and redrawn. So the period where like, um, where like Joyce gets a headache sitting in a bar is an exact, um, is like a, is like a, a redrawing of the page in the Hulk when the bomb goes off, you know? So, it's it's mainly it's mainly and I think he keeps it all to Kirby Lee and Kirby because the idea being that just as just as Ulysses is a story of an everyday life with the mythic element behind it and underneath it, um, Lasky literally takes the story of Joyce writing Ulysses and puts the mythic element of all these first issues of Marvel Comics as the levels behind them. So pages you look through it and you're like, oh my god, this is you know, this is that page from Fantastic Four number one, you know, except it's also supposed to be like an exaggeration of the first page of Ulysses. And it's just that that comic was for a formalist like me. I was just like, this is I don't understand why this man isn't being given a medal and <laughs> carried around on everyone's shoulders. You know, I really, really don't. And then finally, it's tough. The four comics broke my brain. Like, I really wanted to talk about GoGo13 because the first issue of GoGo13 that I read was a tie-in comic strip for the Nintendo game cartridge that was out in, like, the 90s or something like that. have no idea how I came across the comic, but it was it's fucking awesome and everything that I love. But honestly, I feel like maybe my brain was broken all the more and all the better by the time I finally read the first issue of uh, Drifting Classroom, the first volume, because that was mm -hmm. reprinted by um, by Viz. You know, I want to say like around the time that 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 I was I was like a manga dude or, or a, a very amateur neophyte manga dude. But yeah, Kazuo Umezu, Umezu's um, nineteen seventy four comic about an entire school that is ripped from the planet of the earth and ends up in a completely strange unknown dimension is amazing to me. It is absolutely, it's like the Lord of the flies meets a fairy tale meets just an utter nightmare. And it's relentless sort of just amazing direct childlike connection to the horror and terror in life and kind of that, that it's the, you know, it's like 14 volumes long and it's got like kids being, kids are killed brutally and ruthlessly and horribly and people's throats are slit and they're like devoured by human grubs. And it's, every, it's, it's, you know, it's like Stephen King's the mist except cranked up to like 37, you know, on a scale of one to 10. And, and I just remember being just so awestruck by the fact that this cartoonist by Umezu just, just 
going for it, you know, it, it and and in doing so, really capturing the real like one of the first moments of complete and utter horror that I think that everyone feels, which is when you're a kid and you realize that adults are just faking it. Like they do not know what the fuck is going on. Like at, at all, like you just, you look behind that veneer and it's just, and it's just chaos. And in drifting classroom, this entire school of kids have to band together um, in part because time and time again, their teachers who are supposed to be the ones who show they're going to, you know, show them what to do and help them and lead them through it are the ones that are the fastest to succumb to total uh, utter madness, you know, mm-hmm. that the kids are in their weird way, potentially stronger just because, just because of their belief in a, in, in a world and, and uh, I can't really talk about the next stages of it without really, you know, spoiling what's going on with, with Drifting Classroom and the state of the other dimension. But it was just that that book was phenomenal. Like just picking up every volume of it was just like, I don't know, it, fantastic. So, hey, 12 comics. <laughs> it's, but wasn't that fun? That was I mean, incredibly like, there's, great. There's yeah, something I mean, there's something mm-hmm. very uh pleasurable about mm-hmm. something so positive yeah. about just embracing and enjoying comics without having to explain them or apologize for them or or, or all the things I just did over the last 40 minutes no no but you didn't you explained why you chose them as opposed to yes. I'm going to put this in some sort of context that makes me liking it okay yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's true. Do you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. I, I feel that there's a lot of, I don't want to say a lot of apologeticness mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. surrounding comics, but there is. No, there kind of is. There is. It's a little bit of the thing that I, I, I was writing about last week, and I don't think I touched on very well at all, which is the idea of maybe we're better off, A, sort of being honest about the books that we enjoy you know, for better and for worse, and then kind of owning up to it and going from there, as opposed to kind of pretending that we don't like them, or even pretending that 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 the art that we have to have. I mean, you know, there's there's such a thin line to walk, and don't get me wrong, it's very very important to me that we walk it and learn how to walk it. But the idea is that you know, comics are attractive to a lot of people because they have. Um, transgressive elements or they have elements that actually supersede the idea of being okay or not. You know, Mm -hmm. a a lot of us were liking comics long before they were okay. And there's kind of that stage of like, you, you want to keep the right amount of having them not be okay without actually getting into the realm of, you know, and that's why it's totally awesome that every one of these women are drawn completely unrealistically, you know, with their tits out and are not expected to be fully rounded characters because they're just sex objects. Because that's all comics are for, you know, like there's got to yeah. be like a better way in between between those things. So, 
But but it is but it is a bit of a tightrope. So yeah, it is kind of fun to just be like, oh yeah. I mean, part of it's like, ah, eh, Tintin. Who can complain about Tintin? You know. Oh, lots of people can complain about Tintin. Look at Tintin in Africa. But oh yeah, that's true. Well, but that's certain Tintin. All right, thanks, Graham. Way no, to but, way to that, bring the but water. That, that, to that is another of those historical contexts. Yeah, it's true. It's totally true. <laughs> Absolutely. Hey, I mean. Okay, racist and shit, but that was the time. But that was the time. Yeah, exactly. But still fucking amazing. So, so yes. So thank you, Graham. Delightful. Hopefully, uh, listeners, you've got some stuff to, to dig up and or can um, let us know in the comics, in the comment section, you know, your four comics if you want. I think that would be great. Um what else do you want to talk about, Graham? What's well, going on? the other thing I wanted to talk about was uh, the Marvel announcements to end all announcements. <laughs> did, did you watch it? No, no, no. I didn't. Oh, well, I, first I, of all, yes. that was the right choice. <laughs> uh, secondly, I was amused as hell that Marvel have released it on YouTube today. Oh, really? They live streamed it via YouTube, and then today there was a press release being like, because uh, uh, the press releases are addressed to journalists and editors and it's like editors if you wish to embed a recorded copy of this here is the code and it was like who wants to three days later yes be like here is a half hour you know a press conference that looks like a press conference being held by three people who work in comics who are not used to appearing in a press conference who are not used to appearing in a conference and also well, okay so i do have to admit what i did was i uh followed uh rich's live blogging about it which was kind of helpful um you know because that's that's what i do when like i don't know something like an apple thing gets announced I just yeah exactly yeah I, I never yeah i never watched live streams of, mm-hmm. of apple i i checked this or um image expo i i follow the live mm-hmm. tweets oh interesting yeah so so yeah it's just like yeah whatever uh but yeah there was there was kind of an element of like i don't know i mean on the one hand i know why they do it but there's the other hand where i'm like how big a press conference does this really feel like when it's taking place in like a comic book store oh behind but that's just a, thrown I, a banner you know I, exactly, and if you watched it, you can see the people shopping behind them, which I loved. Oh, that's the best. And part of me <laughs> it was, was like, so great, and I was like, I wish someone had realized they were being live streamed to the internet at that point, and like turned around and given the finger. Or yeah, something. just flipped them that off, be, or yeah, exactly. Just, just just like wrote mission accomplished on like an enormous strip of paper <laughs> towel and like hung it up. You know, because because it, it is. It's. I mean, part of me is like, oh, that's fine. You really, you know. I know Marvel's going for the, we're right here in the comic store, we're right here with the customers. Like, that's the image that they're supposed to be, you know, giving it out, given out. But it's really kind of like, hey, it's time for Good Time Tom's Marvel press conference, waka waka, you know. Well, that's it's just, just really it's was. spectacular because uh, Brevoort is much better at this sort of thing than Axel Alonso is. Mm-hmm. And so Axel Alonso either looked like he was asleep. Mm-hmm. Or that he had been forced to attend this and did not want to be there. Yeah, yeah. Because of the way it was physically set up, every time they wanted to show something on the screen behind them, Axelotto had to stand up <laughs> and move to the sides. <laughs> really, seriously. They're like, and if you just watch this video, and he had to like stand up. It was, huh? Things mm-hmm. like that were really, really funny. That's like, it was great. one of those, the ambition mm-hmm. outstripped the execution. Wow. And part of you was thinking, you know, the, you should have practiced this. Like, mm-hmm. you, sh- you should have done a dry run because parts of this just look 
comic. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I, uh, I'm kind of, I'm kind of fascinated by the news. I'm kind of fascinated by what the hell is, because here's the thing, they had a press conference and I'm still not entirely sure what was actually announced. Yeah. I, that's kind of my thing too, is there's a little bit of the, how do I get it? It's, you know, what I thought was great was there was a little bit of the idea of like, this is a press conference. We're announcing it live. We're live streaming it, you know, from our buddy's comic book store. But there's that feeling of like, to me, like, um, if they weren't doing those steps, it was almost like nobody would pay attention. Like, I really feel like Marvel has gone to this well so many times now that that for me, the news, as far as I can tell, is kind of like, there's this event. It's a big thing. We've been drawing to it for a while. And then after it's done, nothing's going to be the same again. And I'm like, yeah, that, that pretty much sounds like what you like said every about event. your last seven yeah. events you've announced, pretty much. Well, you know, the difference here is the Marvel universe, as you know, it is ending, right? And the Ultimate Universe is ending, mm-hmm. and to all intents and purposes, they seem to be trying to have their cake and eat it in terms of it's a reboot that's not a reboot. Yes, they are. The universe is going to be different. It is going mm-hmm. to be a merged universe with other realities. Right. They are going to be. Uh, what was the, the the quote itself was something like we're going to be adding some new pieces to the board and dropping some pieces off. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But they're also on record as saying things like, "Well, you know, Sam Wilson as Captain America is going to be sticking around," mm-hmm. and Rick Remender is on record as saying, "I, you know, my book isn't affected." So it's a, clearly not a full-on continuity reboot. No, 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 exactly. I mean, but yeah. it's a reboot enough mm-hmm. for that for this to be an errand thing on some level and all I keep so thinking, they say you know well, what i mean sure but all i keep thinking is it's all the worst parts of crisis and infinite earths mm-hmm. well it's the part afterwards where they're like it's a reboot for some books uh not for other books and there's history that might have changed right and that just you know 30 years later surely that's the one thing you don't do uh, well, we'll see. We will see. I personally, for me, yes. I I am dubious about the the what they call a reboot. Part of me is going to be like, uh, like they're going to relaunch. They're they're going to launch a bunch of books at number one again. You know what I mean? But for me, I'm well, just I, kind I of th- like. I think they're going to outright uh, redo some some series. Mm-hmm. Oh, you do. I think I think X Men is going to be uh, Ground Zeroes. And I think that I wouldn't be surprised if Spider-Man is. And, and Iron Man. Oh, interesting. See, because I'm sort of like, I I would be I would be curious if they're... Hmm, I would be curious if that would actually end up being the case. Because I, I... Let's put it this way. The way that Marvel's acted prior to this, part of me is like, okay, it's just going to be like a Marvel Now kind of thing. It's just now Miles Morales is in the universe. You know what I mean? Like maybe, maybe I sort of semi-subscribe to that idea that um, that Rich had floated that the the Fantastic Four are going to basically be stripped out. Yeah, stripped out of the time flow uh, and and stuck back as an, a, as a historical anachronism kind of thing. 
um, and as a result of Secret Wars. Like, they're just basically all going to pull a thing and not come back from Battle World until it's time to pop them out of the bottle, you know? Um, and but but maybe you know maybe they will. I personally think that on the one hand, Marvel is very cognizant that it's kind of like George Lucas with the Star Wars movies. You know, Lucas was like, I'm you know only going to do another Star Wars film when he absolutely positively had to do it to kind of keep you know to make a go at at his thing. He was like, no no no, I'm going to try and do all these other things with varying degrees of success and failure and then okay you know all right fine i'll do the prequels and then i'll rake in lots of cash i feel that marvel's has played the we're going to reboot we're not going to reboot we know we're not going to reboot but maybe this time we'll kind of reboot it's sort of a reboot believe me everything changes and starts over in a way that actually is but then isn't Mm -hmm. you know that i think another another problem is mm -hmm. marvel has stealth rebooted a lot Exactly. To the point where the concept of rebooting is a re- – I've had someone argue with me on Twitter mm-hmm. or at least argue with me insofar as I'm not actually arguing back. Right. Berate me on Twitter, shall we say, <laughs> about why this is definitely not a reboot right. for Marvel. And I think it clearly is. Mm-hmm. Whether or not Marvel will ever call it a reboot is open to question. Right. But I think that if you essentially change the rules and history of your universe, you're rebooting. The thing is, Marvel has rebooted a lot. Yes. Well, see, that's my personal feeling is, is I feel like Marvel has – even when Marvel hasn't rebooted, I feel like Marvel ha- – it's just kind of the, the thing of continuity that you do is like – Things drop out. Like Avengers versus X Men is a great example of this. Like it totally had to happen. In order for it to happen, they completely ignored a bunch of continuity that sure. happened in their books. You know, what or I mean? like, you know, Fraction Fraction's Hawkeye is not the Hawkeye that was in comics. Right. It like from the sixties through the eighties. Yeah, it's you, like clearly a different character. Character. You can make lists and lists and lists of these things, and just be like, yeah, there's no way you can get to this point. And still have that be the same character because of this. And people are like, nah. Yeah. And, you I, know. But, but also within this, like within the comics themselves, Spider-Man has been rebooted. Yeah, right. Exactly. One more dated because mm-hmm. it literally just brought a character back to life and yeah. dissolved a marriage in the space of storyline yeah. because of magic. Like, you can't get any more rebooting in a comics than that. Exactly. Exactly. So it's already happened. And frankly, a lot of people... Uh, the majority of people came around and were like, you know, it is probably ended up being a good decision. Like, I'm not, I don't know if it was, if it technically was the a good decision, but I do know that the Spider-Man comics that followed are were better, much, yeah. much better than what was coming before. So, who it's, knows? It's just, it's a very strange thing because part of me, I still think that you could have essentially done those comics without rebooting. Mm-hmm. But if the reboot was what you needed to get those comics, then fine. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I mean, so so I don't know. I really, for myself, I'm – part of me is like – I mean, I'm so far away from it, there's part of me that doesn't care. Like, it's like, okay, so Marvel's going to sit down and they've got Jonathan Hickman to basically come up with a take to – explain and merge all the time to basically do a crisis on infinite earths. Like, okay, that's great. Like, I, I guess it's great. I, it's like, part of me is like, I don't really care because part of me is like, 
how do I put it? I don't think Mar- the only reason why Marvel cares about it is, is that they are in a corner in terms of whatever their sales deadlines are. Like, to me, that's it. That is totally the thing. None of them really care. There is nobody who's, like, sitting there, you know, carrying the torch who's saying, like, our continuity is broken and stripped and we have to have it make a difference. Like, they have been really... I think incredibly candid about the fact that they do not give a shit about that, you know, unless they're trying to market to the fans and hit their new sales levels. So whatever it is, maybe it's that time in their blue binder where like in order to make their sales charts, cause they're not making them with that. They didn't make it with access. They're not, you know, they've got to hit their numbers that they're like, yeah, okay, we'll reboot the universe, but they don't, but I, I, I think that it's you think going they to don't be. Care. I, I'm totally convinced they don't care, and I think what they're going to do is they're going to figure out some way to do the softest of soft reboots that is going to look a little bit like not what Crisis on Infinite Earths promised to be, but what it sort of ended up being. But you know what I mean? Kind of lowering the bar for it's like that's kind of the stage that we're going to be, which is sort of like. Assume that everything happened unless we tell you otherwise that it didn't, you know, and mm-hmm. that, that's what I think. And yet which, it's going to be is, enough of a fresh which the, thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's the problem. That becomes the problem because you yeah. run into the the post-crisis problem for DC, which is someone comes up with another idea mm-hmm. and they're like, so we, we reboot it. And this story was never told after that. So I can tell my version. Mm-hmm. And you end up super confused as to what yeah. quote counts, what doesn't, which is the problem that DC, uh, that Marvel has always managed to sidestep. Yes, with their everything counts theory yeah. to date. Yeah, and I, and I think there's a way in which they're going to be like, yeah, no, everything counts. It's still all here, and then all of a sudden you're going to have I don't know, fucking Wolverine getting married or something, or you know what I mean? It's going to be some other thing. I don't know. I I I for myself, I'm my thing is is always like, what's the gambit after this gambit? Because if it really is a reboot, that's kind of their last little. Wad exactly. Shoot, it's think. it's yeah. It's like really where do you go after this? Yeah, and that that's the thing that I'm thinking is is you know it's like if they're really doing it and it's they're making announcements like they're doing it way ahead of time. Like hopefully they really know what they're doing afterwards and that they're on the same page so that things so that basically you can get something like that sort of revival that you had for Spider Man. You know, but. I don't, I don't know. Part of me is like, I'm pretty disinclined to believe it. So, <laughs> oh, Jeff. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> there's just part of me where I'm just like, I just, I'm, I want to get around and start. You know, my whole thing is, is like, when I look at this stuff, I'm like, what bothers me is the idea that they're just not going to do a weird world, you know, proper justice, you know, or something ridiculous like that. Well, come on, weird world is called the Slayer. It's like they're target marketing exactly to you. Yes. Hey, where did Skull the Slayer pop up? Did you figure out? Is he on the? I, is he... I'm, I'm fairly sure he's in. He's going to show up in Secret Wars. Yeah, you said because of that trade paperback thing, which I think is yeah. great. So, yeah, I don't know. I mean, there's something where it's just it's it's just a part of me is like, oh, it's a big fun idea, you know? How bad can that be? But then I look at the way that it's being marketed. And I do have that's, a little bit of that. That's the thing. Part mm-hmm. of it is, even if 
I had the utmost faith in the people behind the Secret Wars series. Right. Which I don't. Mm-hmm. Um, seeing the marketing and seeing that in the two days since that press conference, there has been a press release each day for one of the three brands that is going to be used alongside Secret Wars. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like that's the part where I'm like, oh god, marketing, marketing is running this. Yeah. When your exactly. press conference actually has a part where they talk about the licensors who have signed on. Yes. And then you get the, and we're also doing last day branding and battle world branding. Right. And the press release actually calls it branding. Yeah. And I'm like, it's the part where you're like, oh, I, mm-hmm. I see what's going on here. Yeah, totally. Like you said, it's really obvious who's calling the sh- shots here. And part of me is like, you know, maybe in that point case, you could make it a point to, I don't know, not hold your press conference in a fucking comic book store. You know, it's just, I don't know. It's, you know, like there's part of me is, or do it in a closed comic book store. Like, you know, there's something amazing about the fact that it's like, oh, sure, come on in. Like, these people are making the announcement of the century. Well, that's great because I've got an announcement too, which is this Loki <laughs> statue was not done to scale and I'm going to complain about it right now. You know, <sighs> what could have been with that press conference? I'm like all the missed opportunities. Shame on you customers at Midtown Comics. There really were a lot you of, could have, like, you could have like, you could have carpied the fucking diem out of that and instead, no. <laughs> Is carpet the fucking DM phrase? If it isn't, it really should be. <laughs> what did you do this. today? I carpet the fucking DM. Yeah, let me tell you. Like, I carpet <laughs> the fuck out of that DM. It's not going to be walking right for a week. That's how awesome I am. Yeah, no, I don't know. I just... <sighs> oh, Jeff. So, uh, <laughs> other other comic news that I can mangle with my monster mouth, or is there... uh, no? I'm I'm fairly sure that is it for the, the for the comic news. Uh-huh. Uh, in the last, uh, let's see, what else has happened? Um, no, that's it, really. Wow! Since we did the last one, I don't, I can't think of any massive stories. I can't can't think of it. Although I have to say, Graham, this is this is actually a little vexing to me because I worry based on what you said in your column on Tuesday. That you have not – have you made it to the comic store since or – No. <laughs> Man. Well, listen. No, I have not. And I've still not read the Star Wars comic. And last night I almost bought it digitally and then was like, it's a $5 comic. Yeah. You know what's great is getting a Loot Crate subscription so that you can and, totally uh, you pretend yeah. that you are – you know, you're paying $13 for just a, a bunch of stuff that happens to include a $5 Star Wars comic. I have to say that $5 Star Wars comic was was pretty enjoyable. I mean, you yeah, know. did you like it? I did. I have to I say. Heard, I've heard great things about mm-hmm. it. So. Yeah, I don't, I'm not sure if I'd necessarily bump it up to great, but I have to say, like, Jason Aaron is more on it than off it. Cassidy's art is... Like, I don't know, there it's 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 kind of a little bit of a sweet spot, I guess, in just the sense of there's there's something about his work that's kind of like air you know, airless but ugly in a way that manages to mesh well with the Star Wars universe. You know what I mean? It's, it's just like this is wow. perfect. It's, wow. Uh, I was rereading uh, Astonishing X Men, the mm-hmm. Whedon uh Cassidy's son of Shakespeare. Oh, I, yeah. I honestly hadn't realized quite how much Cassidy's art has changed mm-hmm. until I reread that. And I was like, oh, he, he, his art used to look very different. 
Yeah, it really did, didn't it? Very, yeah. very different. Yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't quite know. And there's bits and pieces in it where, like, it doesn't necessarily work. But he's, you know, he's still got a little bit of his eye. There's a really fun little um, sequence where Luke, Luke Skywalker faces down some dude with a laser whip. And it's just handled kind of just just right. Just kind of like perfectly like, oh, okay, like we're going to show you but not show you. And here's how we're going to do it. And it was like it was awesome. Uh, yeah, it was it was a surprisingly fun comic. I, that and Batman and Robin 38 were – Which I saw your post about. Which, and you, you seem back on that train. I am back on that train, although part of me is worried how quickly that train is going to derail – you know, in like as it pulls into the station and and just smashes right into the orphanage and the church. Oh, I I think that storyline is built to derail super quickly. Yeah, yeah, I think so too. I think like so too. it's I, I feel like it's almost like constructed to derail. Mm-hmm. Well, because there's a there's a way in which, like I said, this issue was great because it really is. It's beautifully drawn, and there's just great some beautiful. I love Gleason's work. Um, but you know, they, Gleason and Gray, I should say, and they, you know, Robin always looks like a little kid in their drawing. Like he's always like really small, like almost comically. So they very much take that, you know, cue from, you know, way back when I guess quietly, you know, sort of debuted the character in that way. And they, they just keep at it. And it's, and so seeing the, that, that kid fly just there's just something where all of that stuff is handled so well where i really was i'm like yeah i really do want batman and super robin to run in its own little parallel track universe exactly because you you know know at some point it's going to be like super robin joins the teen titans right exactly you know just stuff where it's like well provided it goes with that because i really do like i said in the column part of me is like i can't see this as as ending well, like this is going to be oh, like, no. I mean, you know, literally it's like a, it's like a monkey's paw type thing of like, okay, you know, Batman's got what he wanted and now he's, he's going to like, it's going to lead to bad ends, you know? Yeah. Cause here's the thing. As, as much as they make for the Batman's got what he wanted with the twist, cause Robin's got superpowers. Right. That's a kind of, uh, amazingly benign twist. Yes, exactly. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, the twist is shenanigans, the twist right. is not bad things, and we all know that the story ends with, the twist is bad things. Yeah, exactly. So part of me is like, uh, maybe I'll keep my fingers crossed. It's a good, strong issue, and honestly, there is a lot of, what's great is the second half of the issue has Damon doing stuff with his superpowers that are unexpected, interesting, but also kind of to me are like, oh, he's on a good path. Like this is this is good. This isn't this isn't the kind of like, you know This this isn't Dark Phoenix, the Robin saga. Right, exactly. He doesn't like show up and and blow up a, a you know containment facility filled with the world's most dangerous super criminals. Okay, give it time. We'll see that's it. It could very well be next fucking issue. So I don't I don't know. I, I'll be curious to see but yeah that issue was great so that and star wars were pretty much my like oh these are my favorite reads of the week admittedly a lot of it was was pulling through a variety of other like there was a lot of comics that i had been putting to the side forever like 
Kitchen 1 and 2 or Clarion, like, issues 2 and 3. Oh, what did you think of Kitchen? I don't like it. <laughs> don't. <laughs> you should have just left it with the, ah, because that really said all of did it. Did it? Yeah. Uh, yeah. What did the Kitchen? Ah, it's like, and we're done. Yeah. Moving on. Yeah, I suppose you're right. I could, I could, I could like tease more out of that. But how about yourself, Graham? What have you read? What do you think? What's going oh, you on? Know, you know what I read last night? Mm-hmm. Superman Earth One Volume Three. <gasps> Shit, that's coming out at some point. That, that's coming out like two weeks from now. Oh my god! And for everyone who remembers Superman Earth One Volume Two and thought, you know that whole like prostitute storyline and how well JMS handled it. <laughs> I hope she becomes Clark Kent's girlfriend. <gasps> you guys are in for a treat. Holy what? S- uh, spoilers slash none of you are good to read the book, so why am I even saying spoilers? That's what happens. Also, <laughs> everyone who read Volume 2 and thought, wait, there's Lex Luthor, who's a kind of an okay guy, and his wife, Alex Luthor, Who's a who's evil? I bet you any money, Lex is going to die, and Alex is going to take his name. That happens too. It is. Oh, and Zod's in it as well. Oh, of course. And it is revealed, of course, because it's JMS. The Zod is actually behind the destruction of Krypton. It's oh, his fault. Wow. Um, despite all of that, and that's a lot of all of that. Hmm. It's the best one of the series yet. <laughs> it is, it, uh, as opposed to the other two, mm-hmm. which were uh, in 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 order. Oh God! And oh God! <laughs> this one was okay. Sure. Uh huh. Uh-huh. Uh It it is. It's it's fine. Um. Part of me thinks that uh, it's ve- it's very good as a third act mm-hmm. to the first two. Like, it actually does pay things off. Mm-hmm. It's just that it's utterly unsurprising. Mm. It is... JMS scripting is terrible. Mm. It is... I, I mean, for someone who has been, a, like, nominated for an Academy Award, mm-hmm. he is surprisingly bad at dialogue. <laughs> I mean, not that the Academy Awards is the arbiter of all that is good. Right. But still, mm-hmm. like, he is... Although, did you see the wonderful uh, Larry Wilmer line about the, the Oscars? No. Oh, God, I'm... Com- I say that, and then I completely forgot it. <laughs> yeah, well, oh, it, was, it was that it was so white that uh, the Supreme Court uh, voted not to prosecute. <laughs> Wow, that's lovely. Uh, uh, Larry Wilmer show is really, it's clearly in, uh, it's working out its its kinks. Mm-hmm. It's like the first few episodes have not been great. Mm-hmm. But there's something there that I really hope it succeeds at. Mm-hmm. It, it, I, I really like him as a as a voice hmm. in, in Late Night. Um, but yeah, Superman uh, Earth 1 Volume 3 is, it's... <laughs> It's that most damning of things. It's the best one of a pretty shitty series. Right, right. Uh, well, at least they're getting the better. One. Yeah, I yeah. mean, that's kind but of it is impressive. The best one. Hmm. Um, so, yeah, you know, it, it could be worse. I did actually read it almost with that moment of, 
am I going to torture myself by reading this? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like you said, yes. you're like, yeah. I think this will be a bad idea. Right. And yet, um, made, made all the more palatable for me by the fact that I just finished reading the uh, most recent issue of uh, New 52 Futures End, which by this point, I think I am now hate reading for myself. Like, I think Ooh. I'm actually mm. torturing myself by reading. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, because... It's creening off the rails at this point. Mm-hmm. It is. I, I I I know how it's going to end because you know it's going to end with Brainiac and it leads into convergence. Mm-hmm. But I also can't see how they're right. Like I literally can't. I can't mm-hmm. see how they're going to land any of this shit mm-hmm. because it's such a mess by this point. Mm. Um, and so it's such a mess that I'm now reading a weekly. Wow, can't you can't really wait remember. for the next issue to like totally appall you, huh? I can't. No, I I can't wait for the next issue to give me some glimmer of hope that it, it's <laughs> vaguely going to come together. Wow! And every week I'm like, oh no. <laughs> I I picked up two issues of Batman Eternal this week's and last week's. Last week's, which had, as Martin Gray pointed out to me on Twitter, um. Beautiful art by uh, Joe Quinones. Um, just really. Joe Quinones drew an issue of Batman Eternal? Yeah. Yeah, issue 41. Mm-hmm. That's super weird. Okay. Yeah, I don't know. I guess they were like, uh, can, can you fit it in? Sure, why not? So it's really, you know, it's, you know, since Batman Eternal, you're like, who knows what I'm going to get at any given issue art wise. Like it's kind of had that like, Oh, huh. What a great, what a nifty little surprise. That, that's what I, I'm really interested with, uh, with eternal versus future's end. Future's mm-hmm. end has, uh, an ever surprising list of artists that is continually mid-level. Mm-hmm. Whereas mm-hmm. eternal has an ever surprising list where every now and again, you'll get like, uh, was it Ian Heron or you had right. Joe his and you're like, this, this looks amazing. Yeah. Yeah, 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 exactly. Even the next issue with art by Jed Doherty, Goren Suzuka, and Roger Robinson, um, a lot of which I think is really held together by uh, Lee Lowridge on colors, uh, was kind of was kind of nice. Had a couple of panels there where I was like, oh, this is kind of eye-catching and fun. Um, it's still a goddamn mess. And, and what's worse is it really feels like it's a... I don't know, you know, maybe it's one of those things where it's like a year from now, I'll sit down and read them all, read all the issues that go and be like, oh, I'm totally wrong. This was like an epic that they had every beat planned out. But it seems simultaneously like they, that they are stalling, you know, and that they've complete, you know, like they've got their big So they're rushing and stalling at the same time. At the same time, exactly, exactly, which is, which is not a good it, it it just never works well. It never inspires confidence when you pick it up, you know. So it's kind of like, mm, you know, this really had like they had this thing that they were building up about these like nano virus things that had been infecting Gotham practically from the first issue, and it just turns into like, oh, the Mad Hatter's doing it at the behest of someone who invited him to help destroy Gotham, and he was down for it. But again, you don't find out who the big bad is. Um, 
But it's just like, really? The Mad Hatter? That's I mean, you know, at that point it really is. It's like <laughs> Exactly. That that's what it is? Yeah, it's like you built like thirty six issues of this supposedly being a threat, even though nothing was happening and now it's an amazing threat, but then it turns out to be the Mad Hatter, which by default means that it can't be an amazing threat. You know, it's just <laughs> uh, So you promised an amazing threat. It's the fucking Mad Hatter. Yeah, exactly. You know what I mean? Like that's kind yeah, of no, like... it's, it's well, that's that's what I find really funny about uh, Future's End and Convergence, for that matter, mm-hmm. where they're like, "You've never seen a threat like this before. It's Brainiac." Okay, you've seen a lot of Brainiac recently, but this is like super Brainiac. It's Brainiac, but he's frowning. Do you know what I mean? Like you're like, <laughs> yes. I, I, there's even a line in Future's End where they say something like. You've never seen the real Brainiac. You've only ever seen parts of Brainiac. Mm-hmm. And for me, it's just like, I don't believe you. Right. I've seen lots of Brainiac. I've seen lots, I've seen lots I... of Brainiac. You know? He was like a green, bald dude who's insisted on wearing a hairnet for decades before you even got around to giving him a cool outfit. You know? He's still the, the green, bald dude again. Oh, is he? I thought they yeah. changed him up or something. No, no, they, no, no, no. They, he's uh, Morrison changing him up for uh, Action Comics, mm-hmm. and then Scott Lobdell changed him back <laughs> in the um, Doomed crossover in the Superman books. Wow! And and yeah, it was one of those times where you you could tell the theory was we'll get him back to the classic Brainiac. Well, but in doing that, they actually went way too far. Right. Because the, the, the quote-unquote classic Brainiac is, unless I'm completely mistaken, a essentially a cyborg. Mm-hmm. Right. And yet th- this Brainiac is now not. Oh, wait. Like is some the sort of weird Brainiac like... a cyborg? I thought he was... I... That seems odd to me. I, so hold on. I, I, I want to say that he is, hmm. but he wasn't called a, a, a cyborg. I want to say that the, it was back in the era where they're just like, he's an alien with a computer for a mind. Hmm. Could be, could be. I don't know. We'd have to have to look it up. Well, okay. So the thing that I'm looking at Maybe now, not. yeah, is exactly. Vril Drox. Yeah. Was he Vril? Am I am I getting my Drox my Doxes mixed up? You you might be. Uh, you, no, Vril Dox is in mm-hmm. fact uh, Brainiac. There you oh, go. it is. Okay, right. And Brainiac Five is. Uh oh, God! What is Brainiac Five? He's another. He's another. He's another. Dox, Dox, but yeah. he, he's who, what is Brainiac Five called? Oh mm. God, Jeff, you've, you've actually got me wanting to look this up now. Ah. Brainiac Five's name is Quarrel, Quarrel Dox. Oh wow, there we go. Okay, <laughs> I was like Bryn, and I was like, no, that's that's Timberwolf. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Bryn Londo. <laughs> Again. Why is that actually in my brain that I don't need to look that one up? I don't know. I'm impressed that you don't need to look that up. And part of me is like, oh, man, we're totally – it's a shame we're not super stoners because it would be hilarious for us and the listeners, I guarantee you, for us to get – both of us, Graham, get screamingly high and just read the names of the Legion of the Superheroes, <laughs> their alternate identities, alter egos. Uh, I think we would – I think we would literally die. I would die before we even got to the end of the list. <laughs> So, uh, according to Wikipedia, always a trustworthy source. Um, Brainiac was not originally a, a, a cyborg, but he became one in 1964. He was created mm-hmm. in 58, and he was just an alien. And then in 64, he got retconned to being a, a cyborg. Wait, is he a cyborg or is he just a, an alien computer guy? 
Because uh, Cyborg's like uh, half uh, computer, uh, half dude. Right? He Okay, he was retconned that he was a machine created by the computer tyrants of Kalyu mm-hmm. as a spy for them to invade other worlds. Okay, for so which that's... he was given a non-computer appearance. So he's a he's a robot. Yeah, so he's basically a, or an android or whatever. However, and, people. Want to I, lo- I love the way you said that. An android. Well, because there was just all that shit there an for a while. Android. I lived through the seventies, man, and like science fiction geeks were just a fucking oh, pain in the ass. Oh, but here, okay, this is just get confusing. Mm-hmm. He had a biological disguise, which had a son. Called Brainiac, who later became Brainiac Brainiac. So, does, what does that make Brainiac? If he's the son of a biological disguise. Okay. Graham, I told you we were supposed to get high <laughs> together and read the Legion. It's no fair for you to get high now and then just say something like that Wikipedia, to me. Yeah, Jeff is doing this to me. Which which line is that? Under what section? Dead again? Doomsday Wars? Uh, no, Brainiac it's 13? Silver Age. It's Silver Age. The Silver Age had him doing yeah. shit like that? Yes! Uh, computer it's created... sixty-one introduction of Brainiac's descent in Brainiac 5. His biological disguise included an adopted son, a young Colyon boy who was given the name Brainiac 2. Mm-hmm. In okay, the same so issue, a, the letter column contained a special announcement explaining that the change in the characterization of Brainiac was being made in deference to the Brainiac computer kit. A toy computer created by Edmund Berkeley and based on the Geniac that predated the creation of the comic book character. The boy, whose name was Real Docs, went on to lead a revolt against the computer tyrants, eventually destroying them. Okay, but... Wait, okay. so it's Real Docs, not Real... Oh, because there's two Real Doxes. That's yes. Brainiac 2 from Legion... Oh, my God. Yeah, see, so that's that's the craziness. Okay, so anyway, I think, I think I'm still perfectly okay with going with uh, he's an android slash computer. And now, from what I can tell, looking on, on Google image search, he kind of looks like if Predator was trying to be either a Christmas tree or a Transformer with a Brussels sprout shoved into the top of his head, right? <laughs> That's that thing, yes. right? Let's just go with that. <laughs> Okay, thank you. Okay, so that's so he looks kind of different. I, part of me was like, oh, he looks somewhat cooler-ish, you know. Again, as opposed to back in the day. And don't get me wrong, I love the Silver Age Brainiac, but Silver Age Brainiac, man, he's wearing shorts. They're practical, you know. There's space jorts. Basically, he's got like he's got a hairnet on. He's dressed in like pink. Like he's just awesome in all kinds of like. Fashion dead ways. You know? I love all of Brainiac. I have to say the uh, Gil Kane robots re uh, Yeah, see, and then he's great. Remains like the greatest look. Yeah, that that look, man. I, it's I had the great... superpowers toy, in fact, because I love that look oh, with so his, much. With his great kicking action. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Which everyone's known. Like, everyone knows the best, two best things that Brainiac ever did was shrink Kandor into a bottle and... And be goalie at the World Cup to defend against Diego oh, see, Maradona. That, that, that's where you go. I always go to goose stepping. <laughs> How strange. How strange that you didn't go for a World Cup reference and I did. That's, that is odd. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, Brainiac, that redesign. In fact, the redesign of Lex Luthor's little power suit, too. That was also... I mean, that was the he, same time. Yeah, that same was, time. Beautiful like, designs. And then, like, Crisis on Infinite Earths went just like a year or two years later. 
Yeah. Oh, do you remember John Burns Brainiac as well? I don't. Oh, you what? Well, oh, isn't God John Burns Brainiac is so bad? It was the he's a mentalist. Yeah, he's like a circus he's mentalist. By, yeah, by an alien persona. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. It was it was terrible, and so you really basically had this. You had this uh, like. I wasn't Hulk, sure if that was that guy or not. Was it the pink jumpsuit? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, love how, I love how Burns like, no, take out anything interesting. What's left? Pink jumpsuit. Great. Bald. Okay, good. You know, I, like, yeah, Burn, man, Burns, shit. This is what we should do after we read the Fantastic Four is we get our hands on. Yeah. You know all of that's collected, right? Well, see, that's it. Like, get it out of the library. It's all, yeah, it's all in the, the Man of Steel. At this point, they've gone through the entire Burn run. Holy shit. And that would be an amazing thing to read because just the monumental hubris in issue that would, that after would, issue yeah, after issue. Of that. that would literally just be episodes of me being like, I loved this so much when I was a kid. It's terrible. <laughs> <laughs> it would. I loved that shit so much when I was I'm a sure. kid. And I'm I reread totally sure. some of it recently. And mm-hmm. it's so bad. It's really bad. It's bad. I was. That's one of those classic, like, because of our age difference. I was picking it up at the time. And believe me, I I have a, a shockingly high number of those issues, and every issue I was like, ah, maybe next issue will be good. You know what I mean? Like it was just like maybe this will be. Like, There's, I, there was so much that was wrong with that reboot. Oh, it <laughs> so was much! I, the, the wonderful. Why can't Clark Kent be as successful and handsome as well? Right. Yeah. It was so great. Like yeah. you honestly, I I remember thinking even as a kid. Someone should have told him why not. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like someone should have just sat him down and be like, "Well, no," because if Superman and Clark Kent are both successful and handsome and well loved, then what's the point? Yeah, what's the point? And of course, Burn being Burn, because that's it. Burn really was at that stage of like, let's just hammer. Like it really was like just high on the smell of his own sweat. And just being like, oh, I've got so many great ideas for Superman. There's a take out all that bullshit that Superman's been bogged down in the psychological nuance, the mythology, you know, like the concept of Superman is an immigrant, you know, like. Yeah, it was so great. He was like, we don't need all this mythology. I've got better stuff. I've got yuppies. Yeah, he's he really was like. All you need for Superman is everything that were in those, like, 13 Fleischer cartoons, minus the racism, over and over and over and over and over and over again. That's all you need. That's it. That's all you need. No, 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 wait. Except you've got to make uh, Lex Luthor into Donald Trump. Okay, now we're set. Okay, we're ready to go. Yeah, just terrible. I don't know why. I'm like half of – I'm like, if only I could nuance this. I'm like, I could do a good John Byrne imitation – as Mojo Jojo from the Powerpuff Girls, and I'm like, I just... <laughs> <laughs> so the way uh, I was talking is like John Byrne thinks uh, Superman is boring. <laughs> <laughs> John Byrne, no way to change Superman. Best way to change Superman is to make him more boring, so that previously he seemed exciting. Dig <laughs> that Powerpuff Girl. So yeah. Um... <laughs> What has happened to us? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, the, the Burton Superman, I was, I was, that was my jam as a kid. Yeah, yeah. Again, I like know. I said earlier on, Legends was, was when I was like, okay, DC, let's do this shit. Yeah. Um, and, you know, Burton Superman was exactly the same time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I, I loved it. I loved it so much. 
and and I did reread it recently when they started doing the the trade paperbacks, right. and it has dated so amazingly badly, much yeah. more than his Marvel work. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that that that's part of me is like sort of like why it would almost be fun to jump from one to the other in a way because because burn. I mean, so is my impression, and I'll find out when we get down the road in that episode of Baxter building kind of made a lot of seemingly anti-intuitive choices with the fantastic four that worked exceptionally well in a lot of cases and then turned around and did the same stuff for Superman of whom he is, you know, clearly a fan. Uh, and yet it's so doesn't work. I don't know. I'd be very fascinated with it. I mean, my, my secret theory, which I, I think I've, repeated ad infinitum here is is that burn was such a huge huge fan of silver age dc work particularly the stuff done by dudes like john broom that he just adopted so much of it wholesale and it what it just and it was just just became really dull but it also it really was kind of that thing of like you could tell he was just un, that he was but he was tired of nuance you know, and he just wanted to scrub that shit right out. Like, not just nuance, but ambiguity, you know, like there's nothing, like everything in Superman had to be exactly what Byrne said. And he would go at great lengths of, he jumped ahead to like, oh, here's how people are going to second guess me. And I'm going to shut that shit down right now, you know? And so mm-hmm. it, it's, it's, it's a fascinating, um, the tyranny of the mundane just run amok. Uh, in that, oh, so we, where were we? It was, I'm like, I feel so bad. I feel like I derailed us off of Brainiac and, and Future's End, which you're just like, is just not going to be anything like, but don't you think that that's the case? Like my mm -hmm. point was more Future's End, uh, it's become so bad that, uh, Superman Earth 2, Earth 1 rather, does seem better in comparison. That is a, I feel like that is a, a good way of explaining quite how awkward Superman, uh, new 52 future Saint has become. Wow. Wow. Yeah. I, I don't know. Do you, do you think it, do you, I almost feel like I think what would help both Marvel and DC a lot now would be to sort of reopen the gates for creator participation in creations. Cause I just, especially with Superman stuff, it just feels kind of, Moribund. I mean, and if you look at it, like, again, Brainiac's a guy, that's a character that has been around for such a long time that you either do something completely different with him and then you're like, well, why don't you just make him Brainiac? Or you turn around and you make him Brainiac again and it's like, but what's the point? He's not even wearing those adorable jorts anymore, you know? So... (laughs) (laughs) So what thing is don't use Brainiac? I I was actually thinking the other day, because... On, I feel many occasions, mm-hmm. uh, you have spoken about your surprise that no one can do a good Superman comic anymore. Right. Uh, and I, did I have this conversation with you or did it, do I just think I had this conversation with you? That the reason is that what you and I think I think of as a traditional Superman comic is almost the antithesis of what superhero comics are these days. You know, because I, yeah. Superman comics, are, as mm-hmm. I, oh, for me, a classic Superman comic mm-hmm. uh, is something from the Silver Age or the Bronze Age, mm-hmm. and those are never stories about Superman. 
Right. There's a story in which Superman is a participant, but the story is about someone else. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that is entirely at odds mm-hmm. with what superhero comics are these days. Because superhero comics, every single story has to impact the lead character and be the biggest thing they've ever do- dealt yes. with. Ever. Yeah. Absolutely. And so you can't have the story where Superman is essentially a well-meaning bystander. Yes. Right. Uh, be- because you you have to have something that will shock him to his very core. Right. Or will have him questioning his beliefs every single story. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think there is a little bit of – there's that. There's just the idea of like reinventing the wheel like over and over and over again while sort of writing the stuff about – Batman and Robin and talking about how much I enjoyed just the stuff that seems more or less almost like right out of like Superman, the motion picture, you know, kind of the sense of wonder of like, Hey, he's flying, you know, like I kind of had that moment of like, yeah, why not? We should, we should get back to that. And I kind of, but I kind of have that thing. Here's the thing. I have not read, uh, the supposedly super influential, um, Superman series by Mark Wade. Uh, what's it called? Birthright? Birthright. Yeah, Superman Birthright. Did you read it? Yeah. How does it stack up as a Superman story? And, of course, sort of more importantly for me, how much of it really deals with kind of the sense of wonder of having superpowers as opposed to the, you know, and here's how he got his social security number kind of thing. Oh, there, there's an, uh, I feel that here's how he got his social security number. Uh, it's both not present at all and is very present because it depends how you mean that. Mm-hmm. The the utter, you know, having an incredibly nerdy focus on the story mm-hmm. is not really there. It's Wade's definitely trying to write big. Uh, but at the same time, it's very much of the, and here's why Lex Luthor hates him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, so you are getting to the, and here's the roots of the origin. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, as opposed to, you know, and he's moving into 344 Clinton Street for the first time. Wah, mm. wah. That's not there. <laughs> um, okay. But I'm not entirely sure it deals with the wonder either, to be honest with you. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I think it's uh, – it's interestingly enough, I think it reads – and I'm not sure anyone involved in any of these comics would thank me for this. Mm-hmm. It feels – very much of a piece with the John's Frank Superman Secret Origin book. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, in that they're both very professional retellings of, quote-unquote, the first days of Superman. Yes. Uh, but in professional, <laughs> professional in the bad way. Professional mm. in the – they're not incredibly exciting, especially in the way that uh, Morrison's first issues of action were. Yes. Yeah. Morrison's first issues of action – felt exciting felt new and Mm -hmm. in large part for me because they didn't dwell on any of your like Mm -hmm. any of the obvious and here he's meeting lois lane for the first time this is important here he's meeting lex for the first time this is important yeah you know it morrison's like he's meeting lois and you know neither of them really care about each other at this point right we're moving on yeah yeah exactly you know which i thought was a very I, I, it was, it's the way to do it mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. I think when you have when you had John do it when you had Wade do it there was too much pre-knowledge mm-hmm. and so but when the characters meet for the first time none of them act as if they would when they're meeting for the first time right right exactly you know you have you have that terrible moment where they're like I finally found you 
<laughs> and as a reader, there's this moment of, oh, I totally get it. Oh, my God, it's Superman meeting Lois Lane for the first time. Mm-hmm. But it shouldn't be. Right. It should be neither of the – like, okay, sure, maybe Lois is going to be exciting. It's a fucking guy who flies and wears yes. a cape. Yeah. But Superman should just be like, hi there, cute reporter. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to go off and save the world now. Right. Like, as soon as you sort of slow that moment down and they're both like, what is this? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Then it's, you're you're playing too much into the legend. Right. Right. Yeah, I think I I can, I, I, I think that that is problematic. I just had that thing of like, while writing the Batman and Robin thing, I was like, oh God, maybe I should, should look at Superman Birthright because I do want that. Just had that really strong, like, yeah, the enjoyment of the, of having a modern comic book artist coming up with a way to show someone being shot many, many times with like an assault weapon and, and the person being shot isn't bothered at all, you know? And in that they have like, you know, Robin's uniform is actually getting shredded. Like at one point they show is like, he's holding out his hand and the, the gloves are, are tearing off a little bit from, from the bullets. And it was just like, Oh, that's kind of neat. Like there's a sense of impact and it's, and again, it's just maybe because of the cartooning of here's a little kid lifting up an enormous thing or here's someone like a little tiny figure flying in the sky or whatever. I was just like, man, there's that stuff. That stuff still has, that has more juice for me now than it used to, you know? Um, yeah, no, no, definitely. And something that, uh, I, did I tell you? Whenever I was doing it, that I was rereading the original Superman comics in, in the the omnibus that came out. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's, you are just going to have to deal with the fact that dogs are barking, right? Yes, now. yeah, exactly. Um, but there is this, there is a moment of Superman is much more fallible and much more human and much more uh, believable. Yeah, because at that point they haven't had the one of the problems. And this came to mind when you were talking about Robin's gloves being ripped is you now have this like Superman's clothes are invulnerable too. Yes. And so the bullets mean nothing. Yeah. Because they literally bounce off them. There's no damage at all. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. And, and I think you need some to understand I'm getting shot, but it's bouncing off me. Mm-hmm. The bullets have to mean something. Yeah, exactly. Otherwise you're just left with, oh look, they're shooting air at him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can make you can make Superman too powerful so that none of it means anything. There, there were times actually, and that's it. As as he sort of becomes more of an icon, and they explain like, well, here's here's why his cape does what it does. Here's why his clothes don't rip. You know, all the other stuff that here's how he shaves or whatever. Like the original <laughs> issues, you're thinking burn again, aren't you? What's that? Oh, I don't. I don't remember Burns' explanation. Oh, I just Bart, remember Bart, this. Burton has him shaving by using his heat vision. Yeah, uh, uh, on a piece of this this spaceship that brought him to Earth. Yes, I thought that that was established earlier, but because that was exactly what I was going to say. But yeah, exactly that same sort of concept where it's and it's just like really and again it's that idea of like of course that this is this is the part that that burn really wants to pay attention to you know because burn has that level of like oh yeah those people who say that superman's clothes would smell because he never changes them we're going to handle that a s a p you know and it's we've got a reason for that yeah exactly but like the original superman stuff it's great how like there's just times where like 
like he'll jump and his hair gets mussed. You know what I mean? It's not the little super curl all the time and stuff like that. It's it's there. There is that sense of actual, I don't know, e- effort oh, and impact oh, and move. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. all that stuff. Yeah. I mean, it's part of the reason why that cover look is kind of great, you know, to action comics where he's like holding up the car and just kind of the angle that it's at. Like, you're kind of like, I kind of believe this. And of course, everyone around them are just literally losing their minds. It's such a beautifully. Again, it's another reason why Morrison's action worked. Mm -hmm. Yes. At that point, he's like, the iconography is just removed. Mm -hmm. He's wearing the t-shirt, but that's it. Yeah. Well, and he's wearing it as a t-shirt with jeans and boots. And it's exactly. So and, and, good. and so, and so you do have, you know, all of these other things where he's Superman and he's wearing the costume and the costume is indestructible and, you know, his hair is always perfect and all of these things are no longer visible. Yeah. So again, you can read it as things that are happening, things that are interesting mm-hmm. because when you have Superman as Superman, mm-hmm. it's a really hard sell. To play any stakes. Yeah. 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 Well, but again, I also have that feeling of, for me, I guess that's where I sort of start in about this, like, villain creation thing. Is like, just the number of times they keep coming back to, like, Doomsday and Zod. And to me, in part, because those are kind of the, you know, the latest and the last great you know, Superman villains to kind of get introduced. Because after the 90s, it kind of character creation tailed off cooled significantly for both Marvel and DC. And you see that happening a lot. I feel with Marvel where it's just like, okay, we've got to come up with another reconfiguration. But to me, it's not a surprise also that you have someone like Deadpool or something like that, you know, because he feels like a relevant character or something. And he's 22, 24 fucking years old by this point, you know, Mm -hmm. it's, Mm -hmm. you know, but, but at the same time, it's not, just that because you have had new characters who just don't get used because they don't have the nostalgic because I, I, I agree there, there's definitely been a drop off in the, mm-hmm. um, the number of new characters right. there's also been a drop off in the interest to use new characters as they've played more and more towards nostalgia right. so for example Morrison came up with Solaris who he has used yes but I don't think anyone else has used right right well, and there is a way in which you're like, well, is it is it because it's as far as he's concerned, it's only his character? Because that's the other thing that goes on behind the scenes. You know, Stephen Grant had written an article about basically about how back when he was at Marvel, he made the mistake of using one of Stephen Ger- Steve Gerber's characters without asking permission first. And Gerber was <laughs> 11 kinds of pissed, which, of course, happened later on with Omega the Unknown. But but Grant says, like, yeah, this is this is the thing. It's like when people create characters. So it could be that. It could be that nobody knows what the fuck to do with a ginormous son who technically has not much of a personality. You know, I mean, it seems to me what happens is, like, somebody will create a character and or spend the time being like, yes, and this is why that character is a badass. And... You know, the next character comes in and is like, well, I've got my character. I will have them kill off that character to show what <laughs> exactly. badass yes, my yes. character my is. My character is more of a badass, and they prove it by killing this other badass. Yeah, exactly. And then yeah. I'm just like, okay, that's not doing anyone any good, you know? So, I, I Yeah, I, I think I've said this before in the podcast, and I've definitely said it a lot on Twitter. I have a lot, I have a lot of problems in uh, that kind of decision, which is amazingly reductive. Mm-hmm. To the to the mythology as opposed to additive. 
Yeah. I, I think that uh, – I don't know if the, the responsibility is the right way of putting it. Mm-hmm. But I definitely think that that the idea of um, I'm going to prove that my character is great by belittling some, something else mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. a real problem because you're not really providing anything new. You're removing parts of the mythology. Yeah. And I think that especially when you're dealing with a character like Superman or, or Batman or any of the, the work for hire superheroes, mm-hmm. it, it, it's a bad idea to do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, th- I think you have to be additive. Mm-hmm. I think you have to, if you, if you want to say my character is a badass and they'll prove, uh, they'll prove it by defeating the other bad guy, they have to do it in, or they don't have to do it. It would be preferable if they did it in such a way that left the other characters still usable. Yeah, absolutely. Still usable and also still completely, I don't know, there, it seemed like there was a period where sort of mid-90s Batman did like kind of a great job with that of like, okay, we're introducing new characters and we're sort of showing them in relation to each other, but we're kind of not spilling over the apple cart. You know, at some point it turned the corner where it was like, okay, now we're going to have Lady Shiva, the, you know, assassin that no one can beat, be beat by every single character to prove how tough they are, you know, and it's like, well, but then you had such a great period in the 90s where it's like she showed up and she would actually beat people and then, you know, through whatever reason, like, they would be left alive, but it was this idea of like, yeah, there's a new piece on the table. You know, it seemed like for a while there, the bat Batman group were pretty good about adding pieces. Um, <clears throat> and then they went through that whole period of like, eh, well, we'll kill spoiler, but we'll make sure it's Leslie Tompkins fault, you know, where it's just like, <laughs> wow, <laughs> come on. It's gotta be <laughs> Leslie's fault. <laughs> Let's face it. Come on. You know, it was that time. I, I talked to um, Marina Baccarin, who's playing Leslie Tompkins in Gotham. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was, you know, one of the questions is basically, you know, have you read the comics? Do, you know, do you, do you know anything about this? And she pretty much was like, I haven't really, you know, I didn't think it was that important, the character, the character. Uh, but I do know that apparently she killed someone. Oh, man. And my character's not going to kill someone. <laughs> And I was, I was all really tempted to be like, you don't want to go anywhere near that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> just, just don't. Just, yeah. just, it doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She yeah. didn't really kill them. They brought it back. They brought her back. And yeah, really they later explained it off in a way that was like a huge piece of bullshit. So yeah, it's better that you don't know. Otherwise, yeah, you'll just start drinking heavily on set now. So yeah. Uh, that is actually my favorite question to ask any of these uh, TV people who are, who are doing superhero shows. Is do you have, read do the you comics? Have your, have, have you read the comics? Wow. Um, I, I talked to the guy who plays the Riddler in Gotham. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he, he was fucking hilarious. He was like, I have now. <laughs> I have read all of the comics now. <laughs> Just, uh, yeah, he, he was very funny. And, and quite openly being like, they're so contradictory. <laughs> yes. Right. I can take whatever I want from any of these comics because they say everything. Wow. <laughs> If that's his answer, I'm like, oh, he did read all the comics. Good for him. I'm very oh, impressed. Uh, he, he's, he said it in a much better way. Uh, mm-hmm. he, he, but he did, like, there, it's a piece that's going up, I think, on Monday, mm-hmm. where he is basically like, you know, that he is, it's such a contradictory thing mm-hmm. that, that the, the character just constantly changes.
Oh no, he knew his shit. Like he was name dropping specific stories. Really? Wow. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Give it up for that guy. Um, Graham, we should think about. We should wrap it up because yeah, we need to we wrap were, it up. We were, yeah, this is actually uh, going to be us trying to run a sensible time for once after after a month of this will be like the seventh hour of wait what that we've given people this month. <laughs> I, I realize that we've done two two and a half hour episodes in a oh row. Oh my god! Oh my god! Yeah. So right, we're the podcast that cares, listeners. <laughs> in bulk. Um, exactly. We care a lot. A lot. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, Graham, well, this, this, I have to say, entirely enjoyable. Uh, is there anything else, any quick, uh, comic news slash books you read slash shout outs that, uh, you want to give before we, uh, we saunter off? I, I want to, I want to give, uh, a couple of things. One, I read the final issue of the Parker Shaner, uh, Flash Garden this week. Oh, really? Did it come out? I think. No, it's coming out next week. Oh, okay, thanks. Mm-hmm. Um, along with the first issue of King Flash Garden, mm-hmm. the, the the crossover, they're they're coming out the same day, right? Um, and the Parker Stainer thing is great. I mean, mm-hmm. unsurprisingly, but they pull it off really well. Mm. They pull off the last issue really, really well, uh, in a way that I thought they were heading towards an end, mm-hmm. and they wonderfully organically, wonderfully effortlessly pivot into, no, it's all the origin. All mm-hmm. of this series has been the origin story mm-hmm. that I just loved. It, I, it's it been a great series and it ends really, really well. I really miss the series. Yeah. Yeah. I, that's, I will miss it a ton, a ton. Uh, and and how do you think of? I'm sorry, I missed this part. How how did it work in compare? How did King Issue One work? Uh, King Issue One works fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's. I don't want to say it's not a massive drop in quality because it's not a massive drop in quality. But mm-hmm. I have so much. I hold the Parker Shaner is in such high regard. Yeah, that going from excellent to merely very good right. does feel like a drop in quality. Right. Um, but it's good. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not, I, I'm not sure what I think of King as a, as a, a crossover yet, mm-hmm. because I'm not entirely sure how it will fit together based on this. It mm-hmm. reads very much like a Flash Gordon series as opposed to part of a crossover, if that makes sense. Yes. Um, but yeah, the, 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 still, still good, just not as good as the Parker Shaner series, which I, I can't say enough good things about. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other thing I wanted to say is entirely self-referential, which is thank you very much for everything that everyone has been saying about the Baxter Building episode. Yes. Has that I've, been I've wonderful? Been kind of, I've been bowled over by how much people have enjoyed it. Yeah. Yeah. It's been – that's been terrific. Um, of course, I'm like, yeah, that's what you get when you let Graham edit. That's why people <laughs> – I, I, Sure. I thought yes. it was more of what we were saying. But I, I'm super. I'm super excited that people are really into it. Yeah, I am too. It is. It has been pretty wonderful. So uh, I'm glad you guys dug it. We're, there's more coming. Um, oh yeah, I, I should say along those lines. Um, the next episode is going to be the next episode of Wait What is going to be a Wait What episode. The episode after that is going to be a Baxter Building episode. But we are going to be reading the next twelve issues for those right. reading along. Yeah, so we're people... going to be going up to issue twenty four. 
Exactly. Issues 13 through 24. Start reading them. I know I have to. So, uh. <laughs> you sound so excited. No, I actually, I really am just, uh, just apart from, you know, some, some of the scheduling stuff that you and I have talked about. I'm just, part of me is like, oh, great. Part of me is also like, holy shit, what the hell? Yeah, yeah, I, I'm very, I'm very much the same. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, but, I can't wait to do it. Unfortunately, I don't know how I'm going to do it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. How will I find the time to do it? I, so yeah. Um, everybody, thank you. Uh, this is great. Um, gosh, of course I don't have my thing open. For... Okay. We, you can find us everyone. Yes. At waitwatpodcast.com. It's where the show notes go and where Jeff and I do a post, a written post a week, uh, on various topics. Uh, you can also find us at waitwatpod.tumblr.com. You can find us on Twitter at waitwatpodcast. Uh, and please find us on Patreon. Where yes. we are, patreon.com forward slash wait what podcast. We are being supported by, is it 94 people? 94 right now? people currently, yeah. Who... Um, which is uh, amazing and humbling, and we are very, very, very grateful to. Yeah, yeah, very much so. They, believe me, the, the Baxter building episode is entirely um, their fault. So blame them. <laughs> I was going to say, it, it is your fault, people. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's very, it is genuinely a, we would not be doing this without you things so um, yeah. thank you very much yeah exactly. everyone um, thank you I, th- I think that's it that's it thank yep. you Jeff Lester <laughs> that was um, that was wait what episode I have no idea what episode we're on 168 I think 100 oh good lord we've been doing this for a while I know right so. <laughs> anyway Thank you very much for listening, everyone. We will be back, uh, not next week, but in two weeks. That's right. Next week is our skip week. We will talk to you in two weeks. Thank you very much for listening. We will be back soon. Bye! Beautiful. Just beautiful. Ah, well done, you. Beautiful.